So Aura is stuffed full of oxygen. Yes. <laughs> My innards are oxygenated. So that means he's uh, certainly ready to podcast, right? Certainly ready, yes. He's <laughs> juiced up on that oxygen. Can you hear the oxygen in his voice? It's like I don't even know him anymore, audience. It's just, is it, am I talking to Aura or is it the oxygen talking? It's pretty much the oxygen. <laughs> By oxygen, you mean oxycotton, right? You put oxycotton into your water. I'm not going to confirm or deny. It's mostly carbon dioxide. Is that what we're getting out of it? What? What do you breathe out? It's not oxygen. Yeah, it's carbon dioxide. Yeah, we're getting the carbon. So we're not even getting the good end of it. Although people think it's mixed up carbon dioxide with monoxide. Monoxide. That's, so that's what I was worried that so, I did. So that's so that's fun for you know climate change activists and things like that. I mean, carbon dioxide is also collects in the atmosphere if it's not properly captured by no that's true but but yeah <laughs> most interesting beginning to a podcast mm, let's uh let's get uh okay. hey. it's wild card show right wild, wild card. card show yeah this is uh this is the first month with the, that podcast productions relaunch of all of our shit and uh what we've decided is since we launched since we put up shows on mondays uh and sometimes there will be a fifth monday because of how time works. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's funny because you said that exact thing on, on the blog, too. Yes. <laughs> which they can check out at thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm, right? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, on, on those fifth Mondays, we will have a wild card show where we just do something. Uh, see, we're doing a special one this time because one of our, uh, one of our people is very old. God, it's not uh, very it's, old. Or is half his way old. to an octogenarian. Like, it's kind of an accomplishment. You want to mark the accomplishment I think of somebody who has think, reached such a tremendous age. I think I think you, in particular, should skid on this ice very thinly. Uh, I think you're older than me this year because... Uh, <laughs> that's not how time works. You just, talked, you just gave a lecture about how time works. <laughs> I think I was in a training chamber. You know, oh, yeah. That somehow slowed my aging. Yeah, Spe- yeah. Speaking of Dragon Ball. <laughs> speaking of Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah I don't know what any of that meant. I, was just, <laughs> I just assumed was, you guys were... It was weeb nonsense. That's our version of Pig Latin. If, if me and Josh ever want to like talk about anything, we just translate it through the through yeah, the lens of anime. Well, Kyle had wrestling with him, too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got another wrestling episode coming up before too long, so we yeah. should... Kyle wants to guest on that. Uh, uh, he always enjoys uh, torturing you by talking about That is accurate, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Behind uh, the scenes. <laughs> all, all of the, the wrestling, spreggy wrestling. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, since it is... Wild card! 40th! We're doing a list of over 40 films. Yes. Looking ahead to the grim specter of death. Yes. <laughs> well, so so I had this idea. I, I you know, I, I was getting uh, a, a little, uh, I don't know, elogistic, you know, elogistic, whatever, <laughs> uh, with regards to how they, you know, I'm like, God, I can't believe, like, this snuck up on me like this. Um because I tell you what, motherfucker, when you're 20, you don't, like, 40 is old. <laughs> like, that's, you know, and... No, I, and I love my, you guys. In my head, like, I'm still 25, right? With the exception of the chronic back pain. <laughs> I love you guys. Like, you know, like my dad's older uncle. <laughs> um, so I had this idea of, like, movie, like movies that were influential to me growing up. Um, and... 
Uh, I didn't want to hijack the whole show, so I thought, well, you know, I'll ask you guys along for the show, too. <laughs> how, how nice you to know, share you your ideas. You know, if you want to this, so you just do 40 by yourself I, and post I, it. I, my, fine you've seen me. my list, right? I have almost 40 all by myself. Um, but uh, but then also I was like, I was like, you know, since we started the new show, like, it, it, it would be worth also looking back at the old show and talking to some of our old guests hosts. So so I asked our, besides my own influential movies, my top uh, roughly 10, between 10 and 12, I said, um, I also, you know, asked, asked Josh and Cody for 10 or 12 of theirs. Um, and then we also asked all our former guest hosts from the previous podcast to send in two apiece. So this will come out to actually closer to 50. But, <laughs> <laughs> but... But the, we'll we'll have a couple brackets and special categories that'll knock back the list a yeah. few more. So so well, around forty. Well, specifically, it was originally going to be ten each, and then we were going to ask five former guest hosts that we thought we had for yeah. two each, and then we realized <laughs> there was a sixth. So yeah, um, <laughs> we said fuck it. Like attention to detail is not this podcast. So <laughs> and one of our guest hosts cheated by wrapping up two movies into one as well. So <laughs> but we can we can worry about that when we get to that. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that that was my that was my idea was I wanted to do influential movies in particular. Like I said, since I was feeling like twenty, most of my lists were most of my lists are things that came out when I or at least I saw when I was in my twenties. You know. So yeah, it's sort of how liking things work. I suppose you, <laughs> you get sort of fixed your brain. There's, there's, how is it not nineteen ninety? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I've often contended that you'll never. Most of the best whatevers, as far as entertainment I ever experienced, happened when I was in my teens and twenties. Sure, mm-hmm. it's just as you have more experience. Cody would agree with that things, most of the best entertainment happened when you were in your <laughs> teens and twenties too. Yes, it, yeah. I, I'm very positive we're, it's all downhill from here. Yeah, we're giving him a very grim look at the future. <laughs> no, I think it's more the the breadth of experience that, like, like my favorite concert that I ever went to was on. The eve of my 18th birthday when I went to see Paul Westerberg. And it was a fucking great show and a great experience with a friend of mine. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, if I were more objective, I have maybe been to other concerts that were objectively better. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, I had the experience of an 18-year-old to compare it to. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it fixes in my mind in a certain way. It's the same with a lot of these films. I'm not necessarily saying that all of these films are the what I would contend oh. as greatest films of all time. Yeah. In my, di- in my directions to the guest host, I also said, not even necessarily favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I have one film on my list I haven't even seen, but it was influential for reasons I'll get to. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, there, uh, there, are, there are various reasons why... You know, we can look at these movies and, and have this idea of what they meant to us. Yeah. Um, which, which, like I said, not necessarily favorites. They could be favorites. Hell, hell uh, I figured Josh would go the dark route and, and have one that he hated on his list. And he's like, <laughs> you know what? These are th- This movie was influential to me because I don't want to see another one like this, you know. This or whatever. Didn't happen, but there is one on there that I ob- objectively think is pretty dumb. Okay, great. <laughs> but, it was, so, but it was important at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, so the, that, the directions on this were kind of... Were, were, were specific but vague at the same time. <laughs> that, it's yeah. the perfect subtitle for our, just our show in general. Yeah. The specific and vague. Yeah, simultaneous. I, I, so, um, also in the directions of the guest host, I mentioned briefly an example. So, my example... 
uh, of what I meant by an influential movie was, uh, for instance, Batman from 1989. And I, I joked because because it set me down a, a path of crime just like the Joker. But really, this movie was influential for me was because it got me uh, interested in looking at Batman comics, which eventually got me into comics, which, of course, got me to uh, where I am today, for better or worse. <laughs> so... Mostly worse. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we didn't talk at all about format. Sure. <laughs> How about we each do one, and then we do a guest host, do both of theirs, then yep. we'll do that. And at the halfway point, we'll do the Mystery Science Theater and interlude, mm. and then we'll each count down our top five. Sounds good. Turn. How about that? Yeah, I like that, because I was, I was thinking something along the same line. Top five. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> you have to set a top five? Well, yeah. I was just going to sort of throw them out as I remembered them, but tinkering with your lineup as you go. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, that's the, that's what we do with the uh, with the old uh, with the old uh, lists, right? We'll do it yeah. live. Oh, we can do it as we do. Uh, mind if I start and start talking about yeah, what would be the number the number ten spot uh, is a movie that I like, but that other people don't necessarily like, but uh, it's also very not remembered. It would be toys. Uh, the Robin Williams vehicle from... That is a fascinating pick. Late 80s, early 90s. I, I had no idea that you loved that movie or had any feelings about it, I guess. It's a movie that a lot of people either don't know about or, or think was kind of dumb, but to me it was very much a movie about maintaining the idea of childhood wonder as you got older. And it came out right when I was, I think, about junior high age. And I think it kind of bridged to me this idea... That as you age, you should still hold on to what you find fantastical and interesting in the world. Because that's, that's what the movie's about. It's about a the son of a toy maker who lives in this... The toy factory, which is this almost fantastical, non-realistic world constructed of, of toys. Uh, with him and his sister, who turns out to be a robot. Uh, and then his father passes away after having... Married unwisely, I think somehow somehow the factory is going to be inherited by uh, no, it's going to be given to his brother, who's a military man, and it it starts to convert the toy factory into making weapons instead. Uh, It's good money in that. Yeah, that's that's what I hear. (laughs) Uh, Robin Williams has to fight back, uh, and there's this great climactic scene in which all the military toys are fighting all of the. The weirdo toys that Robin Williams makes that is kind of sad and weird, where it's just all these precision military instruments butchering these fucking childlike toys. And I don't know, there's something poetic in it. I, I don't know. It's hard to explain exactly why I liked it. I think it just uh, it touched something at this particular point in me about... About it being okay to be weird, about it being okay to value the the things that you value and not requiring external validation about the importance of, of whimsy, even against practicality. Also, the soundtrack had a pre-Tori Amos, Tori Amos on it, back when she was in the, <laughs> synth, the uh, synth rock band that she was in, Why Can't Tori Spell? Is that right? Yes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. She That's was, amazing. I don't know if you know that about Tori Amos. She had an album before Little Earthquakes, which was her big album, which was called Why Can't Tori... It's Why Can't Tori Read, not Why Can't Tori oh, Spell. Yeah. Uh, 
which was like more sort of synth. This sounds familiar <laughs> now that you've said it. It's it was some people talked about it a bit when she yeah. was big. They were like, "Did you know she had this fucking weird album? It sounds nothing like her other music." Although I kind of enjoy it. it so the, is the song from Toys like from that album, or was it a song for the movie? I think it's from that album. There's a song called Happy Workers that she does. There's like a nice version, and then sort of a, a factory mechanized version, like remix that they did for the, <laughs> for when it, it converts over into military. It's a fun song. I enjoyed it. A lot of people find her early work laughable, but I, I thought it was really great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Robin Williams himself was kind of an influential actor on on, yeah. on us. I mean, when he mm-hmm. died, like that was kind of a that was kind of a blow to a lot of people of of our generation. I I'll, think. I'll tell you what about the only celebrity that affected me as much as Robin Williams' death was maybe David Bowie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. I I never I, considering how cheesy I find some of his work and how much I, I you know how much I don't watch a lot of Robin Williams now. Like there was. Something in him that resonated, I think, partly, partly because he was a celebrity with depression, which is yeah. always a thing to. Mm-hmm. Well, to and then, with. and then, like, like now, unfortunately, knowing what we know about how he was, like, how he was, you know, how he was going, things like that, yeah. like, I, I can't not see that when I see his movies. You yeah, know? Well, like you, you yeah. know, you you can kind of recognize it in in his roles and things like that now, and it's like, oh gosh, you know. I, I think I always saw a little bit of it. Like his performances were always fueled by something. Like there's a, the stereotype about comics: the comics are all desperate and depressed, and that's what makes sure. you try to be funny. And like. Without getting too deep into it and to how I live my life, uh, I feel like that was certainly a thing that you always sort of saw in in Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Like there was, his comedy was so manic, and there always felt like there was this core of desperation in it, like this need to find acceptance through this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that yeah. made him. I mean, it made him one of the more successful people to bridge comedy and drama. I think. Yeah, so that's uh, that's that. That's toys. That's that's my, and it's I would put it at ten if I were ranking. I, sure, the, the the six or ten are going to be kind of loose for me, but I would say that I would put it at ten because it's kind of a looser influence and it's not a super well known movie. Yeah, my, mine's also going to be that way. So yeah, my <laughs> list is also now just structured like the other five and then like my top five, which aren't also in any specific order. But yeah, I mean, uh, my top five are pretty much structured in order <laughs> my no, no my list is haphazard um i'm not sure any of these would list do you want do you want to pick one i'm a film or? guy i think about this stuff a lot <laughs> do you want to pick one of yours next or yeah i can do okay um, mine um i age, would say age before beauty well maybe my thanks asshole uh, <laughs> uh maybe uh maybe lower on my list but still influential uh transformers the movie um, yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. I assume the animated. You've yeah, got yeah. the touch. Yes, exactly. Now we have to edit that out. Thanks, Cody. Oh, did Bay, it again. Not the Michael Bay pervert movies. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, not the not the Michael Bay Seven Deadly Sins like put to like put the to, robot sex movie. That would be the yeah. first one. Yeah. No, this is this is uh this is obviously Orson Welles and <laughs> uh, uh, Weird Al and <laughs> like the whole the whole gang and that. Um, <laughs> Who was it the other day that I was talking to about that that I had to explain that Weird Al was in the fucking Transformers movie? Uh, it, 
it wasn't me, because let me tell you, friend. <laughs> like, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was like, you know, it's like that Weird Al song in the Transformers movie. And they were like, Weird Al wasn't the fucking Transformers movie? And I'm like, yeah, the animated movie is the... As the junk guy. And if we're talking about influential stuff, like, not only musically, but Weird Al still, like, makes his, is in, like, almost every modern cartoon as well. Like, had a big arc in Adventure Time. He's, like, on multiple Cartoon Network and, like, Nickelodeon shows right now, like, actively. So, uh, well, the thing about the Transformers, the the cartoon, and okay, I guess we didn't mention at the beginning that this is going to probably be spoilerific. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I guess we should put that in spoilers and swears. Yeah. I already spoiled one movie. Yeah, <laughs> well, yes and no. Uh, I definitely am going to spoil Transformers the movie for you right now, though, uh, if you haven't seen it. So, uh, it is, uh, it is, it people of a particular age watch Transformers during the eighties. And when Transformers the movie came out, they would have been of another particular age, for which when the main character of the movie dies, <laughs> it was a bit traumatic. <laughs> like, um, the Goldbergs actually had an episode about this that reminded me of it oh. recently. Um, I, I was like, I was like, holy crap, that did hit me in that way. Like, I completely forgot. But when Optimus Prime dies, like... Yeah. There was some assumption that he was going to come back, <laughs> you know, like, and eventually he did. Because yeah, he was still a children's cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> but not in the movie. Yeah, not mm. no. That movie ends with yeah. with him dead, and that's that. You know, um, it's a it's but, a weirdly mercenary process that created that because I don't know if you know this. The original plan was for. Because the the, re- the reason for the movie was to bring in a, a, the second wave yeah, of Transformers second, characters, yeah, so they could sell more toys. Yeah. And they wanted to get rid of the first one. So the original plan for the movie, according to an interview that I read with some of the creators, was to have all of the first wave Transformers die. Die. And what they would describe <laughs> as a charge of the light brigade, oh. they would all just sort of rush the Decepticons, oh, and all of the old to toys see... would fucking murder each other. I need to see the original cut of Transformers the movie so, so they, bad. They killed off Optimus. The Prime. audience what can't see it right now, but my. Jaw about hit the floor there. I, think I can't imagine what that would have tra- traumatized a, a generation of kids. I mean, they also kill Ironhide in it, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So it's, it has a death toll, but the original plan was to just fucking wipe the slate clean. Of well, the but I mean, and it's it's interesting, and I don't think it ever got. I don't think it was ever animated. I think that it was right. a script phase that they were going through. Yeah, this, there's no the way. Area. Well, there's a certain but. amount of death that was sort of <laughs> happening at this time in the 80s. Because, I mean, there was also yeah. the trans or, uh, the Challenger uh, you know, yeah. explosion that was in the same orbit of this. That, that, like, again, if you were of a particular age in the 1980s, was also like this, you know, live TV traumatization, <laughs> you know? Well, and also very specifically Reagan's deregulation of television and sure. removal of some of the educational requirements created this very mercenary period in TV animation where they would, we've talked about it, where they would, for instance, make take movies like RoboCop, which are clearly not for children, and then make an animated show. <laughs> RoboCop, also on my list. Um, Sorry. Well, no, uh, this is fine. This allows me an extra slot, because now I can talk <laughs> about it here instead. Uh, and I've said this on the show before, so I mean, I'm just reiterating this a little bit. Yeah, but, the Dungeons & Dragons movie one, we mostly talk about RoboCop. Right? <laughs> That's a lost episode. Maybe it'll come back sometime. Well, when they blow off Murphy's arm, I had nightmares about that for months. <laughs> like, um, still to this day, occasionally, like, you know, lost limb things kind of cause this, like, moment in me where I'm like, ugh. 
because of having seen RoboCop the film a little too early because it had toys and a cartoon and things like that. that yeah, so um, your parents assumed. Like, my parents yeah. were a lot more critical about that stuff and did not let me watch RoboCop or yeah. anything R-rated. Yeah, so... And we're mad at my babysitters for letting me watch uh, Revenge of the Nerds, which, in retrospect, they should have been. (laughs) (laughs) That movie teaches terrible lessons. Well, I mean, of that era, you had, like, also Thundercats and Silverhawks, which were effectively the same cartoon and things like that, that were also, you know, I mean, G.I. Joe, all of these things, quasi-violent, sort of like... Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, like militaristic and things like that, you know. Yeah, it was all these this children's stuff at that time was premised on the idea of violent conflict. But what's interesting about the movie is, the Transformers yeah. movie is that it delivered it. Because in G.I. Yeah. Joe, it would usually be, like, lasers both sides would shoot lasers yeah. at each other and blow up all the vehicles, and then one of them would run away. Yeah. Typically Cobra. Cobra! Um... But yeah, uh, and it, I, and except when there were battle android troopers, they could blow up. I definitely <laughs> fell for the Transformers the movie trick though, because Hot Rod was my favorite Transformer. Like after that movie came out for years <laughs> and years, still to this day, I'll have arguments with people online about how awesome Hot Rod is. <laughs> you have a Funko of him or something? I think. Uh, I, no, I have every I have every iteration of his Transformer still. Okay, that's well, awesome. Yeah, like I I have like. Four of these. Well, I guess it's not every iteration because I don't have the weird Japanese like repaints and things like that. But I With do the have tentacles. the. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, they did dark versions of all the old Transformers. Oh, shit. That's and crazy. so there's a there's a dark hot rod that's like sleek and black and and it just looks neat, but it's also like three hundred bucks. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, how much? How much do I love this character from my childhood? Not enough to knuckle down three hundred bucks just for the repaint. But I mean. There's there's one of like basically all of the main cast like something something sleek and black. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna make too big a deal of it because we need to get a move on. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I did love Transformers the movie. Uh, let's see. So at the bottom of my list, I have the meaning of life. Uh, Monty Python's the meaning of life, and might as well just talk in general about all of that because that was also just very early like exposure to older like classic British humor at that point in time and like everybody's seen Monty Python or knows somebody who's seen Monty Python or has seen the Monty Python like quotes on things. Or used to do theater and got eventually sick of Holy Grail being quoted to the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like I like Holy Grail is great, but for me Meaning of Life was different because it was it was something that I was already interested in. Like in the full like life cycle, like beginning to end the, the first song says, what's the point? Like, it, it was all of that, and just the way that they could structure their own, like, oddball sketches around, like, the, like, being young, and then being old, and then dying eventually, is, like, and just all the bits and jokes, that's one of my favorite movies easily. Cool. Yeah, I was also introduced to Monty Python at a pretty young age by my dad, who was into weird comedy. I um, so the original time, like I, if you've listened to the show, I've probably mentioned that I grew up in a fairly religious uh, household. So I had seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail so many times. Was not allowed to watch Life of Brian or the <laughs> other movies because of the amount of nudity and like language that they contain compared to Holy Grail. But it was not until I was in high school that I ever saw the castle anthrax scene because my parents would always skip it and I never, like, caught on. And suddenly 
I remember watching it with a group of friends and being like, what the hell? What is this? Like, when, where did this come from? <laughs> and of course now it's just one of my, like, also favorite scenes of that movie. For the spanking and then the oral sex. <laughs> What was the one we thought we were going to watch at that party once and we put on the DVD and the DVD? Uh, Holy Grail. And it was yeah. on there. It just it had a yeah a weird thing in it where it would play a different movie for a while first, which was kind of annoying. <laughs> it, it played like, but it wasn't like two minutes of it. It was like, we were like ten minutes into this thing before we were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Is, is that the one where it's the old people? That's like, Possibly? yeah, that's, it's, that's meaning like of life. A, because it's like oh. a it's like a fifteen. 15- oh no 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 no! It was it was, holy, it was definitely Holy Grail. It oh, was, like it had a it was like a fake fucking exploitation yeah. oh. movie or something that it had on there to mess with people. Huh? Yeah. Because cool. it, it, it was like a don't play the movie option. Or something. Uh. It was it was it was something that probably sounded very funny to a DVD maker and was a little annoying. I remember <laughs> the like the Holy Grail has days. the like for the hard of hearing option and then it's just somebody shouting the like menu options at the through the <laughs> sc- screen. Oh, that's funny yeah. too. Yeah. There was, Play movie. There was an era in DVD making when they would do like I think the first Harry Potter DVD had this where you had to like solve a puzzle to Yeah. Make a movie play, which who the fuck thought that was a good idea? <laughs> just want to watch a goddamn movie. <laughs> it came, some of those things kept me entertained because I, I remember other yeah. weird ones where it was like that. There would be like hidden button things you just had to know. You had yeah. to go over to the, like, the left when you oh, were on scene uh, selection. Moment, was it Memento? Had the backwards play option where, <laughs> yeah. where you could see the movie in its actual order? Or... One wow. of the Aqua Teen Hunger Force DVDs had a, if you hit play all... Yeah. It would play oh, all play of them, them simultaneously, yeah. <laughs> like in different little screens. And I was like, "Yeah, that's funny, but I do want to play all the episodes. Can I do that? <laughs> What's my option for that?" <laughs> like it was real funny the first time when I figured it out, but now, <laughs> all right, I would. I would see that, and I would think there was an error on my disc. I wouldn't even necessarily get the joke right away. I'd be like, "No, I would." I just, what, what's happening? Like, how, how do I? And they can from working at a video store. That's the kind of shit that gets people to return stuff, saying that it's defective. Yeah, you're like, no, it's it was their idea of a joke. Some Andy Kaufman shit right there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, boy. that era in DVD programming did not last long. Sure. Um, Alright, we want to do a guest now? Guest host. Uh, let's take... Uh, oh god, this is going to drag down the room, dude. But let's do Aaron's first. Aaron <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, always drags What a beautiful lead. Whether, whether she's here or not. Uh, well, <laughs> did you did you happen to read her things? Yeah. yeah, yeah so, Do we want uh, to talk about what she's done? Absolutely, go. Uh, she was on our Godzilla episode, uh, which is the first one that we posted for this new stuff, so you'll, yeah. you'll yeah. have heard Aaron's voice. Uh, and... Uh, she will be on the upcoming uh, Angel episode. She was also on Guardians back in the old podcast. Yeah. The Russian Avengers knockoff. Um, that was mostly about a Russian woman's ass. Erin, uh, I feel like, adds to the show uh, in such a way that she uh, she helps uh, bring back what I refer to as me and Josh's NPR phase quite a bit. <laughs> where, where it becomes a, yeah. a pseudo-intellectual discussion about things like that, yeah. you know? Oh, she's great. She might be. She might be working on a podcast of her own at some point. Yeah. Don't know. Um, don't want to give things away. Nope. Don't know. Um, but but if you enjoy uh, Aaron's sultry voice, uh, it will it will be uh, available to you probably soon uh, in more frequent doses. Yeah. Uh, she'll be her next guest will be in I think three weeks. Yeah. For 
the aforementioned Angel. Uh, a cross oh, between oh an my. interesting social drama film and a terrible tit flick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you already forgot, huh? Uh, well, yeah, I was just thinking about the breasts in that movie and how uncomfortable that is. Yeah. <laughs> keep thinking about that. And the egg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God! Stop giving away all the. I mean, we're, we're, no, all I said was egg. It's just like Angel, we're teasing was it egg. out. I, this this out. is it's building anticipation. 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 Patient. Yeah. God. Okay, so Aaron's uh, first movie. Uh, she she listed what dreams may come. Uh, she said it really highlighted the beauty of death and the pain of suicide and the self for others. Really demonstrated grief to me in a way that uh, when I was young and uh, young enough to find it very complicated. So uh, I think this this falls in line with some of the things we talked about with toys already a little bit. But, yeah, I mean it's yeah. another Robin Williams movie, and sure. I, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've heard it's really good. Yeah, it, it, it's all the stills from it look beautiful. Like it's a very beautifully shot film. Yeah, I uh, I, I have only seen the poster, and the poster looks very um, enticing. Have you seen it, Cody? Which one? Uh, what dreams may come? No, it's uh, we were talking about Robin Williams earlier, and I know exactly what it is and like what it's about, but I've never seen it. Uh, we were we were talking about Bicentennial Man at work the other day, and I I was just thinking along the lines of even before people joke about like the the bearded, soft spoken Robin Williams movies, there there's still a couple of those like early ones that definitely set him aside as more than just a comedian, but. Uh, did you ever see it's it's, it's a divergence? Did you guys ever see World's Greatest Dad? Yes. Oh my god. Bob see, Jack that's a movie that's really hard to watch in retrospect now. But, but god so damn, Bob, Bobcat Goldwaith is fucking rocks. It's Robin Williams plays this this uh, school teacher who's there's this kind of very humdrum, sad life, and he has a son that he's very disconnected with. The, the main kid from Spy Kids, Daryl yeah, Sabera, yeah, right. <laughs> and the kid uh, autoerotic asphyxiates himself uh, and dies. But Robin Williams restages it to look like a suicide and like write suicide notes for him. Ghost writes his suicide letter. Yeah, everybody is so like heartfelt in their reaction to it, and he has to like go along with this notion that his son was the secret poetic soul. When really he was a a fucking bastard. It's (laughs) the whole beginning of the movie. It's a Bobcat Goldthwait film, and if you haven't watched Bobcat Goldthwait's films, he's a fucking genius filmmaker. No, I I do. As funny as he is as a comic, he is a great (laughs) filmmaker. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. I've never. Yeah. Yeah, that movie's awesome. We can always want to plug that one. <laughs> uh, Aaron's second film was The Cat Returns. A young girl does a uh, a kind thing, can't establish strong boundaries because she doesn't know uh, who she is as a person, and almost becomes a cat, and then remembers she's a person and has to escape a crazy cat king, voiced by Tim Curry. By climbing a cat tower of Babylon. Yeah, you haven't seen this movie, have I you? I have not. That's this is of, an anime movie. It's <laughs> Miyazaki, right? Like, I recognize it's, what it is, but I haven't seen it's it. It's a Ghibli movie. It's Ghibli. not Miyazaki. Okay. But I knew it was in the Ghibli collection. It is based off of characters that are from Whispers of the Heart. Because in Whis- Whispers of the Heart is a Miyazaki movie... I'm glad that Aaron picked this movie because I have something else to talk about on a list that wasn't mine. But it's uh, Whispers of the Heart is like a, a based in real life drama about like a girl's like a young romance thing. There's a shopkeeper and he has like a statue cat, and so then they made their own like still within Ghibli made its own movie about like this sort of like fantasy world where the cat is voiced by Carrie Elwes. 
and Ooh. the the main girl is Anne Hathaway. Like they Ghibli has always had like A list people for their dubs, but yeah, it is my, a my very favorite movie. Ghibli, and I haven't seen that many. Is Princess Mononoke, and that also yeah. has a really great fucking voice cast. Yep, they always. I, th- I will say I think that's a big part of why they're. I know they're huge in Japan as well, but I think part of why they're so well remembered in America is just because they pay attention to their localization so much more than a lot of studios. Yeah, for sure. Well, they there's so much extra in their process about like trimming the script and editing it so they give the exact same impression without necessarily the same words and like rearranging the phrases so that way it actually like syncs yeah. up with the dub. Localizing instead of just translating. Yeah. I I have... One of my movies is also a Ghibli movie where I can talk about some of that, too, because it was the same thing. Very influential for me. If you're, if you're looking to cheat on the list, now's All the time. All right, yeah, I'll just jump it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cheat the list. Come on. We, All right. Look, well, technically, we're half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and we've done one each. <laughs> yeah. Let's get running, buddy. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Nope. You're, you're yeah, next so my next well, who's the who's the one that needs to run? Run. My next run. one is going to be a film that is pretty dumb and is called The Gate. The Gate. Uh, the Gate is a horror movie from the eighties. Is this about... the one that has that very flaming sort of looking poster? Like... I think so. It has like a sort of gate to hell with like a yeah. demon peering yeah. out. Mm. Um, it's about this these kids that are left home alone by their parents, uh, and they end up with a gate to hell in their backyard, and they have to try and close it. It's very standard '80s horror fare. Uh, it's a pretty stupid fucking movie, actually. <laughs> but the thing is, when I was a kid, I was at I watched it when I was at the babysitters. Uh, it was late at night, and my okay. parents had dropped me off there, and there's this scene in it. Where because their parents are out, they, they hear, like, possessions have just started, all the evil stuff has just started happening. And they hear, like, a ringing at the door, and they go to answer, and it's their parents. And they're like, oh, you're home. And then the parents' face st- faces started melting, and they become, like, evil demon creatures. And when I was a kid, I had nightmares about that for fucking years. <laughs> just that idea of, like, my parents can just go away and be replaced by fucking demons. Like, I'm at a sitter. What if this happens? What do I do? Because I was young enough to not really get that you couldn't have monsters in the world. Like, you know, objectively you know that when you're a kid, but there seems like a deeper truth where there can be. Mm-hmm. Because you don't understand the world well enough yet. So, Oh, oh I feel the same way about uh, aliens. Like, yeah. uh, a- you know, you, again, on old podcasts we've talked about it. Yeah. But, like, for realsies, I thought aliens were going to come down and, like, <laughs> and, and do things to my anus for years. And when I was a kid, I was terrified of global warming, but not in a rational way. I just thought I'd wake up and, like, I'd fucking melt The or world would shit. be on fire. <laughs> Little did we know we would wake up one I mean, day and the world would be on fire. Not wholly inaccurate, but, like, <laughs> the, I didn't understand the gradualness. Yeah. <laughs> that's the true and, horror and, and I understand that it meant that fucking summer would continue fucking straight into August like way way past when it fucking should yeah. uh, September <laughs> really God. September yeah you're right it's still ugh. fucking turned to fall already it yeah. might have it broken these storms might have broken it a bit I'm praying to Christ yeah it would be so Hate nice summer. anyway yeah. respectfully uh, I disagree fall falls the king of seasons um, Why do you live here then? We don't even have those middle seasons here. Because it's expensive to live in good places. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because everyone wants to live there because summer and winter are terrible. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, this for years I was scared to watch horror movies other than like old black and white ones, which for some reason I didn't make that connection in my brain to. Uh, because of the gate. Because I was just 
fucking scared shitless. And then I, rem- I eventually, when I was a teenager, I started reading Stephen King, and I started like becoming interested in horror because I did like the old horror movies, and there was something fascinating about horror to me as well. Uh, and then when I was when I went to college, I remember I went to a local video store. And I was like, "All right, The Gate. I'm going to watch this. It's going to be it's going to be terrifying. This movie terrified me when I was a kid, but now I think I'm ready to watch it." And I sat down and I watched it. And I was like, "These effects fucking suck. Like, this shit looks like Pee Wee's Big Adventure." I am concerned <laughs> that Event Horizon is that same thing for me. Event Horizon Event holds up. That movie is fucking okay. terrifying because yeah. it was terrifying for me of a certain age, and I was afraid that the the effects wouldn't hold up. I, the effects are what they are, but they're they're good enough and relied it's, on relatively yeah. enough that a lot of the horror is so much of the horror in the film is psychological, which is what yeah. makes it work. Even though normally I'm not very scared by alien based horror because I'm like I'm not in fucking space. What do I have to be scared of? <laughs> like, but but the confined but thing, the confined space and the nihilism of it, which is really where yeah, that's horizon. True. It's the most effective Lovecraft film ever made, <laughs> even though it has nothing to do with Lovecraft. <laughs> Because it's about the indifference of the cosmos to your suffering. Hell yeah. Anyway, that's the gate. So, uh, I'll go ahead and take my um, yeah, that's uh, my my weird either. one that uh, doesn't doesn't um, my <clears throat> next <clears throat> most influential movie was Casino. Um, I have never actually seen Casino. I haven't either. It's very long. <laughs> I have to understand uh, Sharon Stone's in it. Uh, maybe Al Pacino, right? Anyway, Danny DeVito, I think. Isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so, uh, all all these actors of that era, uh, all the Scorsese of, people, nineteen like, ninety. Maybe it's Pesci and not DeVito. Maybe it's both. Oh, maybe I don't it's even Pesci. Know. Uh, you're probably right. Nineteen ninety seven. The reason this particular movie was influential to me was this was the movie that lost me my job at the movie theater. Um, <laughs> It uh, what happened was a gentleman had a heart attack in in the theater while I was working there, and this caused my boss to have to fill out a bunch of paperwork and be mad at the rest of us all day long. And I was pulling the shenanigans that I would always pull, but the difference was he was in a bad mood and just fucking fired me on the spot. <laughs> so, wow, yeah, I had somebody die of a heart attack in the movie theater I worked at, although I didn't get fired over it. What was that movie? I was, believe it or not, Waking Ned Divine, <laughs> which is this weird Irish movie. I was working at this movie theater in San Francisco that showed foreign and independent films. Um, Waking Ned Divine is a movie about this small village in Ireland where somebody in it wins the lottery and then dies. And then they, the village conspires to pretend he's still alive to cash the, the money to, to go to everybody. Huh. And that was a weird movie for somebody to fucking die. Yeah. Uh, it was a heavier set gentleman who choked on a hot dog and had a heart attack while he was doing it. And then they held his body out and it was fucking weird. <laughs> wow. Especially when people were, because we couldn't tell people what had happened because you don't want to be like, yeah, there's... Someone's dead in there. But uh, people were complaining that we weren't letting him in for the showtime. And we were like, fucking calm down. <laughs> it's like, when you see the body wheeled out, you're going to feel a little different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You assholes. <laughs> we're having technical difficulty. Right? Uh, that, that's probably the closest to one of those. I, when I worked at the liquor store, uh, there was a homeless person that died behind the liquor store on a shift that... Uh, well, he probably died during the shift that I was working, but it was the next shift that found him. Um, so that that was an interesting, uh, particularly uh, with that liquor store being what it was, you know? Um, yeah, no, it was a liquor store that people would die in back of. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, man, I've had some crazy jobs, come to think of it. Um, like, 
But <laughs> that needs to be. We could definitely do that as another episode too. Like a crazy Some, jobs podcast. Yeah, the, or just the job stories because sure. all of us, I'm sure, have thousands. Worked at the magazine shop. But my my craziest story would be when I was at the magazine shop. Uh, oh, Oprah magazine just started coming out, and everybody it was like the first issue, and everybody bought a copy of it, even the people that were just there to buy porn. <laughs> Like I'm not. I'm not kidding. It would be like barely legal and like horny Asian sluts and Oprah. And and the thing about people, <laughs> they thought O was a different type having, of magazine. Having all of us worked in 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 porny sort of environments, they always throw something God, on true. top. Oh yeah, and then it, or or they they're stuffed in the middle yeah. of the other magazine. Yeah. Like, so so you're interested in uh, popular mechanics and and also uh, barely legal Asians. Yeah, <laughs> those are your two interests. <laughs> Oh, man. Cody, what's your next film? All right. Next film, I moved it around so I, do, I could do an oddball one, too. Chicken Run. I love Chicken Run. Chicken Run's an awesome movie. Absolutely holds up. Uh, definitely awakened that early, like, aesthetic appreciation of artistically made films, like uh, all of the stuff that Like a Studio makes and the Wes Anderson stop-motion movies, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, like... Uh, retroactively like got me interested in Wallace and Gromit which definitely came first uh, of this but Chicken Roll was one for my generation uh, I'm pretty sure it was also uh, either Chicken Run or Titan AE was the very first movie that I ever saw in theaters Wow, so, Titan AE is a former episode that we did yeah. I, Oh man, it was on my list And I kept moving it around Because I wanted to talk about other movies That's too but bad, we really shat on it for like 60 minutes Oh, oh it wasn't I, We didn't shit on it we <laughs> no. It could have been a lot better That's, That was our takeaway Was It was the mediocreest of movies we ever saw That's what it was So I still remember it to this day Because I was definitely under the impression That we were going to the theater to watch uh, Richie Rich <laughs> I just very distinctly remember like sitting down and being like yeah we're gonna watch Richie Rich and it was a completely different movie and it took about 10 minutes 15 minutes like into the movie where after the world has blown up that I was like okay well it's not Richie Rich but I guess I'll guess we'll watch this like I was invested even, even while it was like well the world was blowing up you were like man this Richie Rich movie started I, I 100% thought it was one of those like <laughs> cartoons before the movie oh, okay. things I was so like this is weird and interesting and then it was at that point that I was like this is not the movie I thought we were going to. It's like, oh well, we're here now. I don't really want to leave. That's funny. It is, uh, but I was see, I was just picturing it that you were like, man, this this Richie Rich movie does not start like I expected. Well, it was like, also he's in, he's in space now. <laughs> he's well, then it was like right after that he's drilling on like the side of a ship, and then he yeah. gets like his arm cut, and there's blood in it, and that was the next thing too, where it was just like the bomb went off in my head of like, oh my god, there's blood in animated movies? <laughs> that's that's yeah, a good yeah. point. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, yeah, Chicken Run. Chicken, chicken Run's run. fucking awesome. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> talked way more about Titan Yeah, I talked about chicken Titan A, but Chicken Run's great. I've, I've only watched Chicken Run glancingly when I worked at a video store. Oh, uh, it's good? It's, so, it's so good. It's very funny. Holds up for sure. So uh, our next guest host uh, would be would be Shane. Um, I can't. I guess we can't rightfully call uh, Shane guest host. More like former co-host, right? Yeah. Um, and Shane was with us. What, like a year and some change? On I don't know. If it was quite a year, but it was. I think it was a few months. Yeah, sure. If uh, 
do you have any particular Shane episodes that you remember? I'm, I was trying to think of one. Um, I feel like I feel like Shane's mark uh, on our particular show, uh, on the shows, was that he he was he was kind of our everyman. You know, he was yeah. like like again we go into these deep explanations, and Shane would be like, "Deflate yourselves, assholes." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, I definitely remember we were explaining Foucault to him at one point. Yeah, the, oh, you got me and you got into this Marxist craziness on one episode that didn't you That's have to edit it into a separate episode? No, was he on the, there was a Hollywood special one that we edited the the the, uh, the political rant out of. Oh, okay. I don't know if he was on that one. Oh, okay. Was he on the? Uh, I, th- I think we brought him back for the the eight crazy nights. Yeah, yeah. So all these podcasts that people can't currently listen to. That yeah, we're no, about. they're they're well, <laughs> they'll be archived someday. Yeah, yeah, we're we're alluding to the future archives, which you should definitely check out later. But yeah, uh, but yeah, Shane was great, and and you guys would have loved him. We're yeah, we're, you know, and we're sad he's gone. He, uh, am I not remembering? Is just my shitty memory. It's not anything yeah. to do with his. He was he was great. He's missed. Um, but he, he, <laughs> he's, he and he's and he's the the brother of somebody here's roommate. I was about to say he's not dead either. <laughs> the, the, oh, the yeah, vibe, I shouldn't have for, said it like for that. The, for anybody yeah. who's listening to the new episodes, Shane didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, didn't, I didn't kill Shane. Sure that they're listening. He's, I don't he's, know. He's dead to us. Um, no, <laughs> well, no. I was just, gonna say like it's they'll be listening to this. Shane, we love you. We now. miss you. You're great. You also wrote me. You also wrote me a report about your two movies, so this is going to take a minute. So settle in, kids. Um, yeah, that sounds like him. So, so he he was great at over preparing for the shows too. Like yeah. I do remember that. Um, so uh, the Warriors was his first movie. Uh, the music, the visuals, the tone, the characters—almost too much. Uh, I can say about how much I love this movie. Uh, and then he proceeds to say way too much. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Shane. Uh, I think uh, what it really boils down to me was this era in my life that I came across it, which we, we've discussed a little bit. I'd go into the video store, uh, which was only VHS tapes back then, and grab movie after movie of things I'd never seen before. One day, uh, I exhausted all the options. Can you imagine him doing that, too? Like... Watching yeah. every movie in a video Shane? store. Yes, I can imagine him yeah. systematically doing that. <laughs> uh, uh, I saw a bunch of strange-looking characters on the box. At first, it looked like something from Streets of Rage or Street Fighter video games. I took it home and popped it in. That's hilarious. And realized uh, I, uh, and from then on, I realized I was stepping out of my comfort zone uh, and can wield positive results. Uh, oh, I, I, I messed up that sentence. From then on, I realized I could step out of my comfort zone and wield positive results. It set me out into a strange new cinema world and made me willing to always come out and play. Hmm. <laughs> That's good. So, no, yeah, it's a good film. Yeah, I, movie rocks. I haven't seen Warriors. You haven't seen oh, Warriors? really? Yeah, my I, dad's a diehard Sin Lizzie fan. So sometimes I see the video game at the store. Um, it's- it's a fun movie about like a New York that's filled with gangs, yeah. and like one of them are. It's almost they, like a sci-fi movie in a weird way. Yeah, like one of the gangs, the did Warriors, we, has we, done something did that we pisses everyone off. So for the show once to... and never did. Isn't that what happened with that? Probably. One? Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. I definitely rewatch it. It's basically yeah. like they. It's one. The Warriors is the one gang, and something happens at the very beginning that sets. That's like a collecting of all of the gangs in New York that one guy is going to is telling them like we outnumber the cops, which is why the warriors got banned in New York City and like Chicago. 
like on its release is because they were worried about like gang violence. Yeah. And then somebody shoots the like revolutionary leader and blames it on the warriors. So then every single weird costumed gang in New York is trying to kill them as they have to cross like the entire city. Yeah, it's it's a, it's sort of the archetype of the like the the bad neighborhood survival film. Yeah. Where it's, it's just about these people sort of crawling through this neighborhood full of people that want to murder them. Mm. It's very good. His second uh, film was Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> uh, I was already a, a versed fan of horror comedy like Evil Dead 2. Uh, but this is absolute insanity at its finest. It's the kind of movie you'd make after being dared to while uh, passing a, a mean lace joint around. Killer <laughs> cons from outer space, huh? Hold my beer and watch me and my brothers kill this shit. Uh, this was, uh, it was dumb, but so lovingly crafted uh, that it holds an odd charm. Uh, not for everyone, but the practical effects on low budget are definitely worth tipping your hat to. Yep, by the Chiodo Brothers. It's a, it's a fun film. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an Epple film. I don't think it is, but it's, it's certainly one worth watching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody should see that movie. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, it's it's not for everybody, but if you like horror, yeah, and comedy horror in particular, because it's very tongue in cheek. Yeah, campy, campy horror for it, sure. And if you don't have like a weird thing where you can't watch clowns or cotton candy. Right. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> That's that. That always makes people. lists online of like most creative and like cool killings is killer clowns from outer space. Sure. Yeah, it was very visually inventive in particular. Yeah. All right, that's you. Back to you. So, uh, my next movie is going to be a movie that is an up all night movie uh, and another horror movie, Night of the Comet, which we'll probably be watching before too long for the show. Uh, Night of the Comet is about. A comet passing too close to Earth, which causes almost everyone to turn into dust, and people who are partially shielded to instead become degenerating zombies. Uh, But the main characters, a couple of valley girls, happen to be radiation shielded when it passes, and they're okay. Uh, And so they're running through this world full of zombies. I can't tell Uh, you how much this sounds like a Josh movie based on just the... uh, (laughs) Like, I'm like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Is there any mechs in it? Because that, that's the only thing that would make it more Josh. Right? There's a secret underground science institute. Ah, uh, there we go. Like, close enough. No, we're not. Stuff. Um, it's it's really good. I'm not going to discuss it at great length because, like I said, we're going to do an episode about it before too long. I'm sure. Uh, it was. I'd say it and Monster High were the two up all night movies that made the biggest impression on me. Uh, the difference being that Night of the Comet is a genuinely fucking good movie. Nice. <laughs> you, you know, it's... Like, it's, it's a great... Un, indisputably, it's a, it's a film that's really cool horror that also has a bit of a sense of humor. Great effects for a low budget. This is funny that he picks those two movies as his up-all-night influential movies. Because yeah. they're both, like, horror and... It, it, I, I haven't yeah. seen Night of the Comet, but I assume uh-huh. it's practical effects-y and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're super into horror today. Yeah. Uh, my two up-all-night movies that uh, were Licensed to Drive and The Stoned Age. Yeah. Which are two, <laughs> like, teen coming-of-age comedies <laughs> with, like, yeah. you know, shitty results, you know. Um, <laughs> both of which uh, will, will inevitably also end up on the up-all-night show because yeah. those are the ones that influenced me the most. And... <laughs> uh, I, and uh, you know, uh, License to Drive is a double Corey flick, too, which is important to people of a certain age. Yeah. <laughs> a double Corey. Yeah. You, you, Pour you, one out for Haim. 
That was yeah, Haim and Feldman. Yeah, yeah. No, Haim has passed. Feldman's still here to yeah. have embarrassing talk show appearances and concert tours. God, he went religious for a bit too, right? Or am I misremembering? I'm not sure. He's he's big into. He's one of those like. I was I was abused as a child. Well, yeah, I was. I was he was like way ahead of the whole yeah. all the like Weinstein stuff, and had been like talking about that for like years, and no one believed him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's, that's, way to drag the room down yeah. on, the, so, on our fun teen comedy talk. It's what he's um, known for now. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's that and his regrettable music career, which is God. That's, Music videos are a thing to watch, but it it, I, it is funny that those that those uh, different genres influenced us the way they did, and it yeah. you know it, it kind of goes back to USA Up All Night, which which we you know have a whole show talking about how <laughs> yeah. how much we love that particular ridiculous you know thing. And then mm-hmm. Cody's list is mostly erotic thrillers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why aren't why aren't, they, why aren't they called boob thrillers? There is uh, <laughs> I'm looking right now one, two, three, four, five movies on my list that are not animated. <laughs> that, 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 that spread all the way throughout it. Um so my next movie uh, I would Gosh, this one's hard. Um, I'm going to go with Twister. Um, Ooh. Twister uh, was the final movie that I saw at a movie theater in Omaha called Indian Hills. And it's oh. unfortunate that Josh is walking away during this because. No, okay. <laughs> uh, Indian Hills was a movie theater, it was the last Cinescope theater in, uh, in, in the country, uh, perhaps in the world. Cinescope was this wide screen and wrapped around the audience a little bit kind of kind oh of yeah, yeah yeah and pre IMAX stuff kind of thing and I'll tell you if you were sitting at a particular point which I was uh, in this theater like um, during a movie like Twister when action is happening kind of on both sides of the screen and not just kind of in the middle you would sit there and you could like literally watch the tornado like go across the screen and you would have to physically turn your head to see it on the other side here. Um, this, I mean, in a sense, that particular movie had a lot to, Well, okay, the movie itself is less... The plot is less important because it's just a bunch of storm chasers chased down a, a, a tornado. A twister. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's kind of like a horror... Like, it, it has some horror, like, um, uh, genre twinge to it, but it's really an action movie. Um... So, but the cinescope thing was really important because you would watch the the tornado as it kind of went across the screen, and the the scene that I remember vividly in my head is the "We've got cows" scene because I remember sitting in the theater when they when the cow is going across the screen, going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like, and the thing about this theater was when it shut down, since it was the last cinescope theater in the country that was still operating, they wanted to keep it open. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, one of the hospitals nearby needed a parking lot, and so like so they they, they paradise and put up a fucking parking lot. Like literally, Indian that Hills song was the every time I hear every fucking Omaha. Every time I hear that song, I literally think of the Indian Hills uh, theater, like <laughs> um, because of because they fought for years. They fought like two years, a losing battle against this hospital that needed. And to be fair, the hospital did need the parking lot. But it just sucked because, like, 
the you know this theater was super important to history. I, I, yeah. I, and I, Josh, maybe I don't know if you were particularly involved or cared about things at that time. But, I didn't know anything about okay. preservation at the time. All I knew was that Indian Hills was a cool ass theater because it would show mainstream films and sort of indie and indie wood stuff. Sure, because it was like a four or six. We uh, it had the big Cinemascope screen, and then it had several smaller theaters that they would use for other things. I also saw Phantom Menace on that screen. Oh, that's a cool movie to see like that. It would have been... It was, it was, it was an unfortunate movie to have seen on that screen, but it was the scene... The, the things were the things the, were cool. The one cool on the thing about itself. Phantom Menace. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the influential part about all this, though, was this was the first time I got actively involved in sort of, like... Anything involving like protesting or you know being involved in local politicsy sort of stuff, yeah. because even though like I didn't have the the sort of historical background a lot of people in the movement did, I did have this moment of like holy crap there is a cow like on one side of me and then on the <laughs> other in this in this one stupid twister film which yeah. just like. To this day, like I, I get chills describing it. <laughs> like I went to a Star Trek movie marathon there that I quit after con. <laughs> uh, I went to. It's not really a marathon so much as a double feature at that point, <laughs> then, I suppose. But go on. One of the times I saw Blade Runner was there, and I was so fucking stoned. <laughs> I was blazed to where I didn't know what the hell was going on. I've still never watched. Uh, I don't think I've ever watched. I tried watching Blade Runner sober once, I think, and it made just as little sense to me. Like yep. something about that yep. movie doesn't work for my brain. Um, I remember once I went to a double feature of uh, Oh Shallow Grave and uh, and I shot Andy Warhol, and then my friend Megan wrote I shot Andy Warhol in lipstick on the trunk of my car. <laughs> and drove it around like that until rain washed it off. Uh, so many fucking times growing up in Omaha that were Indian Hills. Yeah, it was a it was a it it's, was a great theater and a great loss when when they finally did have to plow it over. And I it's mean, they a, it's had a rumors. taste of injustice that it fucking died. Yeah, they they had rumors that they were going to try to put it back up somewhere. I, as far as I know, like the screen itself is either lost or still sitting in a storage unit somewhere like 20 years later. It even mm. looked cool. It had this like weird like slat design yeah. to its exterior that didn't look like anything else. I mean, Cinescope was a big deal when it came out too cuz it, you know, there uh once upon a was it what was the name of it? It wasn't Once Upon a Time in the Old West. Why am I I keep running that uh, but there's the first Cinescope movie was a was a western mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. you could tell they were experimenting with it. Because how they had this was it was basically three cameras, <laughs> and things would happen in different cameras uh, that they would then combine into one, you know. And uh, it was yeah. So it's a it's a it's an art that like even though we have you know better effects and three D and things like that, like you'll never experience another sort of theater like that again I don't think in that same way no. even with things like virtual reality and stuff like that came about historically film student speaking came about because of eras of experimentalism that just aren't going to be repeated in film because it's a fucking set medium at this point yeah uh Cody me um my next one was Howl's Moving Castle, which we talked a little bit about earlier, so I'll, I'll be brief with mine. But uh, just, yeah, like when when that the American localization for that one came out, I was already 
very deep into my appreciation of animation and like what the medium could do and then seeing that movie like as as like beautiful and stunning and gorgeous as it is and the way that it is localized like when when I watched it I didn't even think of it as like a foreign film it was it was just a like pure fantasy thing and right. I went on to like read the book after that it's based off of and I ended up reading several other books by that author uh, Diana Wynne Jones cuz she is amazing and easily one of like the funniest like science fiction fantasy satire like writers. Yeah. Definitely recommend uh, checking out her books, but Howl's Movie Castle is sick. And it had that international Ghibli quality that we talked about a bit already. Yeah. That even in even in stuff like Spirited Away where it's very culturally specific, it still feels accessible to yeah. the uh, and, and wide audience. And it's a thing that you've never like the plot might be able to be boiled down and like simplified but it's still like it's it's not like anything you've ever seen before like the way that it the journey of that one goes for sure yeah or again uh just the way they turned these in uh co-host is again next i think we should do nick Oh, you want to you want to do Nick's next? I think yeah. we should do Nick. That's fine <laughs> because of how my my list is going. No, work that's out. fine. <laughs> um, I have to pull his up, so you have to just give me a second. Can you, you guys? Oh, uh, uh, you know baby. what? We could just knock out another movie. Oh, you're you're a fucker, both of you. I don't think that song's copyrighted. Walla 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 walla. Okay, so Nick's. Who was Nick? Who is Nick? Who is Nick? Yeah. Uh, Nick is a guy that Aura knew from grad school. Nick's a great friend of mine. Uh, uh, I've met him. He's a, he's a good dude. He, uh, me and he me is, and Nick. Me, me and Aura and him are together three large dudes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, Nick much smaller nowadays, I think. Is he? Yeah, he... He, he, he betrayed his ethos. Yeah. Um, but the thing... <laughs> to try and get him a, a half-Japanese girl. <laughs> like in that Weezer song that's kind of racist. Uh, <laughs> I'm done with that part of the conversation. Me and Nick used to hang out as kind of a part of the Three Musketeers during my master's program. It was it was myself, Ben, and Nick. Um, them guys very interested in sports, and me not. Uh, so I, but I am interested in drinking, which is uh, which put me along for the ride a lot of the time. Um, we'd get in adventures together during our master's program. I eventually uh, the thing that. Um, I don't know if Nick would appreciate me telling this story, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it anyway. Uh, when Nick was, a, like, before he had come to Bowling Green, uh, they they had said that, uh, um, you know, they had told me over and over again that there was a guy coming in in the, in the new cohort that, like, I'm just going to get along famously with, and we're going to be best friends and whatever. Which is a great way to get around to dislike somebody. That Exactly. <laughs> uh, and Nick said the same thing. Like, he had, he had, like, my reputation preceded me. And then me and him just met each other, and it was, I, at the time I had had a handlebar, I had, I had shaved my mustache into a handlebar mustache Ooh. for the arrival of the new cohort, um, just to be weird. I don't, like, one day I was just like, I'm gonna do it like this today. <laughs> and, and then the new cohort was totally into it. They loved the handlebar mustache. I never wore it again. Um, that, that's not 100% true. I have wore it twice since then, but only for one day. Um, because so, you're the lady's friend. I am the lady's friend. That's exactly what it, yes. <laughs> that also is a Nick story. Um, no. <laughs> not, not the one I'm telling at this moment, though. <laughs> so, it's, uh, but then me and Nick met each other, and, uh, 
I would say the first meeting was pretty lackluster because we had both had this built up in our heads a little bit. Um, over time, we did eventually become famous friends and, and <laughs> still, uh, you know, still joke with each other on Facebook and, and through, you know, because he's halfway across the world at the moment uh, over and over again. But but uh, Nick has been a great friend to me for a very long time. He uh, he guest hosted on a show, uh, our first wrestling show, if I recall. Not our first, but it was it was one of our wrestling shows. Sure. Because Kyle was there as well, I believe. Okay, was it Kyle? Uh, was it no, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, was it No Holds Barred? No, it was, it was the Under the Giant stuff yeah. we talked about. Oh, yes, him. it was the Under the, the Giant one. Maybe he was there for No Holds Barred as well. Yeah. My um, favorite bad movie. Uh, yeah, I get along with Nick, too, because we have similar interests. And also, he's into wrestling, which <laughs> is, a, is a, always great to talk about wrestling when I was around. Gets into he's my, just not into it. I just... I. Uh, how is it called Money in the Despite Bank? Despite being the son of a plumber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that reference. Is that a is that a thing? Do you not do you honestly not get it? No. Dusty Rhodes. Okay. He was, he was a classic eighties like seventies and eighties wrestler. Who was, well, his mean, gimmick I, was he was he was uh he was the the, the son of a plumber. I'm uh, I mean I'm aware <laughs> of Dusty Rhodes, but I uh yeah. So That was his gimmick. He was a working man. Also okay. I feel like odd times just if you're the son of a plumber, I don't know why that just like perfectly makes sense. Like, yeah, what well, you'd be in wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> I was specifically the Dusty Rhodes thing because yeah. that was in his theme song. Yeah, he was the son of a plumber. <laughs> anyway, well, Nick picked uh, picked uh, two two movies I didn't think Nick would pick uh, necessarily. So <laughs> I, I guess the first one is a little Nicky, but I yeah, I, the, I would have guessed other things before I would have guessed either of these. So his first movie, Rushmore. He said, uh, this movie made me feel less weird about simultaneously being uh, precocious and an underachiever. Uh, to which, uh, do you remember what Rushmore was about, Josh? Yeah. Okay, do, do can, you, can you give me, <laughs> give me like three sentences? Well, I'm like, I remember it kind of, the plot wends a bit. And that's that's why I'm having a hard time like narrowing it down. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and I always saw it once. But I would describe it as the story of this weird kind of love triangle, but not really, between this... Precocious, weird private academy student, uh, uh, played by young Jason Schwartzman, uh, yeah. an aging teacher who's kind of a, a sad sack, played by Bill Murray, and this woman played by somebody whose name I can't remember because I'm real sexist. <laughs> uh, and I believe it involves it's Denouement involves a stage play version of Star Wars. That's what, yes, yeah, so or okay. a Predator or something. That's what uh, it's um, it's Serpico. This. Serpico. Oh, is that, I, I because just, sci-fi? Maybe it is. Or, uh, they do. He does a couple. The oh, the the big end one is like uh, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse okay. Now is the Vietnam is. one, but the one where he gets where he gets like decked in the face and they go out to dinner <laughs> is uh, is Serpico as a play. <laughs> I I only know because I watched this movie very recently. Yeah, Jason Schwartzman. One of his weird character affectations is that he's in theater and he does these theater adaptations of fucking popular movies. Yeah. Um, it's it's a very Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, I which is what Bottle it Rockets. is. It was a Wes Anderson movie, most, yep. most sort of famously. So I prefer Bottle Rockets, which was his best film. But wow, whoa, <laughs> bullshit coming yeah. out right now. Controversial oh. opinions. Hot first. takes. Yeah, it's, it's a little less mannered than some of his. Like the mannered stuff kind of gets on me a little. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's probably like about Bottle Rocket. So is, a bit Royal Bombs was also not your type of movie? Oh, I love the movies. I just, okay. my, I prefer... You prefer that with Bottle Rockets, Bottle it Rockets. was the same sort of themes, but it was like looser and had more fun. Interesting. <laughs> and I liked that. The, the staginess is 
interesting looking, but it makes it, his films feel a bit sterile to me sometimes. Sure, sure. Um, his second movie was The Adventures of uh, yeah. Baron Munchausen. Yeah, that's the which, shot. Which, uh, which apparently Nick or uh, 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 Josh feels strongly about, but let me go ahead and give Nick's. Uh, this made me m- more deeply consider the nature of fantasy and fiction and its power in the real quote unquote world. So, uh, that, uh, I've never seen this movie. You've never seen Adventures of Baron Munchausen? Yeah. It's based on a folktale. Okay. Or at least a book or something. I'm not sure as to the authenticity of his origin. About this, uh, this guy who claims to be this incredible baron and is probably full of shit, but he has all these elaborate sort of folktale stories about himself. Mm-hmm. Was, this, it, was this a cartoon, or did it have, like, cartoony elements or something? It carts- it? Well, it's a Terry Gilliam movie, so Okay, it's, maybe that's what I'm yeah, remembering. It's, yeah, it's kind of, it's almost, like, anthology, kind of, in a weird way. The you way know, that, maybe yeah, I have like this seen kid this, traveling but it was just baron. so long ago, because as you said that, that plot sounded familiar. Like, Robin Williams is in it, okay. as, a, as a, like, the man in the moon, I believe. Like, they go to the moon at one point, and they meet, like, Greek gods, and featuring Uma Thurman as Venus, and you can see her boob very <laughs> briefly. <laughs> so so you're under the impression this is a shot at you, huh? It is. Like, I actually like some Terry Gilliam films, but the thing about Nick and I is that we had a big argument on Facebook at one point <laughs> over the contention of talking about Watchmen and whether Zack Snyder is a better filmmaker than Terry Gilliam. I want to reframe this just a little bit. When Josh says big argument... You guys were in the fifties of responses here. This wasn't something like that. Yeah, it was you, very long. Yeah, you and you and him did not go short on this particular. Oh, like, and there wasn't any venom to it. Really. No, no, absolutely. It, it was not. just two people who were into culture, like sort of going back and forth and doing exercise. And I don't even know that I necessarily. The ultimate point that I wanted to make uh, as to why Nick was wrong is that Terry Gilliam has a problem with finishing things. Like, a lot of his projects peter out, and even the projects that he makes sometimes kind of fizzle at certain points. And that's my problem with him as a filmmaker. Sure. Uh, And Zack Snyder at least completes films. And I think, and I think there's a point to be made about that. Don Don Quixote uh, is definitely lending to your argument. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, <laughs> one of those two filmmakers has a documentary about how he didn't make a film. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and it's yeah, but it's well, interesting. Well, but I mean, <laughs> now you've got Snyder not not having made Justice League two, yeah. you know, and yeah, but he didn't make a documentary about it. Like, yeah, and he, he, he made Justice League. He just, you know, in the editing process, his fucking kid died. I think that's maybe you get a pass. I wasn't talking about <laughs> Justice League. I didn't know one. that. Yeah. No, that's why it was edited yeah. by uh, Joss Whedon. Was uh, he had a, he had a death in his family? I think it was his kid, and uh, wow, yeah. he couldn't complete, so they brought in Joss Whedon. All I knew was the uh, Superman mustache thing. Yeah, and the thing is, I probably would agree with Terry Gilliam more as a person, because I think Zack Snyder is kind of an idiot conservative. And, and by idiot conservative, I don't just mean that he has conservative beliefs that I disagree with. I think he's kind of an idiot. But I think he's kind of an idiot savant about film. Well, you can, you can see some of that politic come out in the... In, the, in, you know, in, in some his, of his films, yeah, particularly yeah. his superhero films. Yeah. I think he has... This brings me to my, my number seven pick. Your, your, uh, your sidekick well. here has, has yeah. decided to go a little... Biscuit's perching on my chair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you hunt that biscuit. Anyway, uh, we're number seven pick, Sucker Punch, a movie wild, widely reviled and probably my most controversial pick. Yeah, this is a controversial pick, especially for you, because yes. like I said, I, I do believe that the, 
that is a, one of those movies that people uh, who who enjoy film do not enjoy as a movie. Yes, this is one of my most controversial opinions yeah. as far as a, being a film person. Oh man, and you're outing it right here on my birthday podcast. Way to go! Look, a part of being a film person is having a controversial opinion about something. <laughs> sure. Like you like reality television, or like you're a huge I don't know. Yeah, weeb. <laughs> you like the, the the really lesser Woody Allen films, or you're. A, I mean, you know what? At, at least I'm not a, a fucking Roman Polanski apologist. I get real fucking sick of those in full circles. Sure. Yeah, he should be in jail. That's the fact of it. Yep. Anyway, it's Sucker okay. Punch. Uh, I remember when I saw the trailers to Sucker Punch. I think I told you about it. I was like, I just saw the trailer of this movie. It looks like shit that nerds like the movie. It's going to be terrible. Do you want to watch it with me? Uh, <laughs> yep. And you were like, yeah. And then you watched it. And... It was the advertising campaign for that movie was one of the worst of any movie ever because it gave no impression of what the movie is about. Yeah, it's really about this sort of nested narrative about, and I don't even know that Zack Snyder would put it this way. Because, like I said, I think he's not necessarily super bright. I just think he happens to have a sense of film that's very innate, like yeah. that he's sort of a savant to some things. Because it's really about how people watch these summary movies. Because it starts with this horrible story about like an abusive family and this. This uh, this girl being framed for it, and she's about to be lobotomized for it, and then it very much directly steps out and is like, no, but people don't want to watch this, so we're reframing it. But we're reframing it as this brothel narrative, which has a glitzy surface, but is actually gross when you think about it. And then from there, it steps out further to be like, no, we can't even deal with what people have to do in this, so we're going to reframe it as these like epic conflicts with steampunk Nazis, rather than deal with the fucking world as is. And there's so much moving in and out of, of layers in it and about... I will say, like, a lot of people criticize it for its views on women, and I'm, I'm not going to defend it on that. Uh, what I'm going to point at is an article that I read on this website called Overthinking It Once, which I really liked, called uh, The Outdated Feminism of Joss Whedon, where it pointed out that basically Joss Whedon reflects sort of second-wave feminism in his work because it's about... You know, women are powerful in it, but it still objectifies them through the image. It doesn't deal with the way that the formal contributes to, to patriarchal objectification, if I can be mm-hmm. uh, highfalutin for a minute. Though. Highfalutin. Uh, it want, so it kind of wants to have its cake and eat it, too. And that definitely is happening in Sucker Punch. Like, if you... It, it wants to sort of criticize the fact that you want to watch, essentially, these attractive young women put in danger but it does it while in still letting you look suits, at them effectively too yeah yeah but it's still but it's still very male gazy it's still giving you the look at them mm-hmm. yeah um but i think that the larger criticism that it makes of why we watch summer movies is very trenchant especially in the marvel age like i think that the way that we let metaphors run our lives through fantasy works isn't always super healthy isn't reflective of a culture that's necessarily psychologically well Mm-hmm. And I think that Sucker Punch gets into why that is more than other movies, if you let it. Yeah. And I think that's... I remember we showed that in a class. I was I TA'd for a zombie class when I was at, when I was at Famous Film School. Uh, and we had a guest lecturer who brought that movie in as her film because it had zombies in it, and uh, which was very loosely connected to the fucking idea. But she talked a lot about what it meant in relevance to all these things. And she said she, she agreed with me that it was a theoretically interesting movie, but she, she did make the very good point that it probably failed because what people wanted was the thing I saw the trailer for. Like, shit nerds like the movie. Like, let's just have a pile of crazy shit happening. 
Uh, but the fact that it didn't deliver that, that it actually delivered this really kind of morbid and depressing fucking... Because it's, it's not a fun movie. Well, I feel no, like, I, after, yeah. I feel like after you and I left, we left a bit morose. <laughs> yeah. But we did have like an hour and a half talk at Perkins or something. Like, yeah, definitely, because I was definitely, after I watched it, I was like, well, that was, it was not at all what I was expecting. Also, it might have been the best movie I saw this year. Because <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was fucking mind-blowing. I remember I was like definitely like the target age too for that movie and going to see it and then immediately like after being like wow like I can definitely tell that I did not like that movie. <laughs> yeah. So I don't fault anyone for disliking it because it is a movie that wants you to not like it. I just think that there's a point in it that it's making like yeah. you should dislike this. Yeah, this that, is what's happening. That uh your your thoughts on it make a lot of sense too just like from what I remember about it. Yeah. As, as my defense of the indefensible, I'm sure it doesn't make people like the movie, but it's why it's important to me because it's just such a damp, oh, sepia tinted movie. It is there's no. There's just no moment of joy. So in it. yeah, it's it such a bland no, palette. Arguably the ending, but like that's just kind of it's it. yeah whatever yeah. <laughs> no sunshine in this fucking movie. Oh yep. Yeah. Uh, I'll follow that up with another uh, intellectual masterpiece of ours, Inception. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> This is a... That is probably the most the movie has dropped in my second watch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was weird, because I think, like I said, me and you left the theater on this one. Like, we... Me and you had had so much discussion. This is how we developed our first co-authored piece. Second, but yeah. Oh, was it the... Oh, because we did the... Yeah, the Mystery Science Theater thing. But this was our... This was the first one that was going to be in a mass market... It came uh, out first. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) mass market uh, bookstore and then the mass market bookstore in town went out of business before it came out so me and Josh actually never got to see the book on a shelf uh, but uh, it's okay the editor butchered it anyway yeah that's oh. true yeah we sent him we sent him exactly what he asked for which was like you know 30 pages and then he he knocked it down to definitely 10 oh. <laughs> so he, he wanted I don't know He's probably right to do what he did. I just, uh, yeah. yeah. Me, me and Josh had me and Josh had set up this very structurally sound thing where we were making our paper read like the movie, and yeah. he, he didn't get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it was we moved through levels of analysis. Yeah, um, it, it was you know it it was. It was a fun idea in our heads. We did it. Uh, apparently, it didn't translate. We probably but, could have done it a little better. But uh, Inception, that. of course, this movie about layers of dreams having to do with a heist, uh, heist movies, which uh, me and Josh also very much enjoy. Um, we'll we'll be talking about a heist movie very soon on the on the other show. Um, we'll 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 undoubtedly gush our love for heist movies then, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, but but Inception uh, was was an influential movie because uh, you know it it, uh, it allowed us the opportunity to, to do this do this publication. So yeah, and that was because when I first saw it, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting, if a bit sterile, because I always think that about Christopher Nolan. On the second watch, I fucking hated it. I yeah, it's so boring. I do remember because we were both working at the tutoring center, and I asked you if you'd seen it the second time. And you were stuck out in that hallway for whatever reason, and you were like, "That movie sucks." What did we even see in it? Yeah. And I was and like, "Wait, what?" 
Like, yes. are we still? And I was very concerned because I thought the piece was going to fall apart. I was like, Josh, Josh, that movie wasn't that bad. What's going on? Are you okay? Like, what's you know? Like, my like, problem was that I didn't yeah. watching it a second time. I found nothing I hadn't found the first time. Yeah, uh, there was. There was no layers to the layers in that way. I turned on Nolan, and honestly, I was always... like I like following more than Memento. I never cared for Memento that much. Uh-huh. But I kind of turned on Nolan with that second Inception watch. Like, I just... His films are so, in my opinion... Uh, they give an illusion of depth while being kind of surfactile. And I don't think the ending of Inception is mysterious... Uh, it, because everything in it is structured around telling you that it's just a film. That's what the top thing is about. It's just a film. Doesn't matter. It was always a dream anyway. Films are just dream matter. Films are about aren't about reality. They're about how we recall things. So so <laughs> so Cobb was Sorry. in the dream the whole time, or he was. It's irrelevant because the entirety of film is dream stuff. Mm. I, there's there's but a film on my list that deals with this. Or was it going to stop at better. the end? What's that? Doesn't matter. That's why at the very end, when you're at the end of the credits, you hear the music winding you back up because you're leaving the theater and going back into the world. Hmm. That's cool. So, well, if you want to read more of our uh, analysis, it's available <laughs> in, uh, in in some book called Inception and Philosophy. Turning on Nolan is a very film school move. I feel. Yeah. You got to turn on. You got you got to like a filmmaker somebody else does, that other people don't. And you got to turn on a filmmaker that everybody loves. Is that mm-hmm. is that's that what the makes deal? you a film snob? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I think I would agree. It's uh, it's how you have a particular. Uh, no, who's your uh, Quentin Tarantino? Is your, Quentin Tarantino is my other? Yeah, my other film dislike, but I didn't turn on him. I just it, never really honorable liked him. mention on my list was damn Pulp Fiction, and I was afraid <laughs> to start this up with you. So I don't fight with people about it. Like, I I used to be angrier about Tarantino than I would be like he's not original and argue with people but at this point I don't care like if people like him that's their business I'm old now yeah uh, I just I don't care for his films I find them unoriginal Fair Josh enough. just doesn't you like can, feet you can feel the acid I don't know <laughs> feet are gross man. feet are gross why let's make that. Let's that. make that statement now. <laughs> you're gross, man. Thanks. Yeah. No. I looked to um, you unlike, like I needed that unlike, immediate. Unlike answer. your dumb pizza opinions, I agree with you on that one. <laughs> I agree with Cody on this. From what Stop you stop it. Me. No. Not We're not doing pizza. this. No, no feet in your fucking cinema. No, no pineapple your on your pizza. <laughs> no. No. No feet in your cinema. No pineapple on your pizza. No gods. No masters. No. <laughs> God. Whatever. <laughs> You guys, all right, uh, Cody. What's your next? Uh, my next one. Uh, while we're talking about semi-serious, I'm gonna. Oh, well, not semi-serious, <laughs> but you know th- this sort of thing. You're I'm dragging gonna, the room down next, huh? I'm just gonna <laughs> double it up. Uh, 500 Days of Summer and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, because I was watching both of these movies a lot around the exact same time period. When I say that, I mean exactly that. As like on a regular weekly if not more regular than that basis like as soon as i had watched both of these movies because of the soundtrack because of the emotions that you got while you watched them i just like did that all the time and it was very like oddly somber yet excited person at this point in time but uh, and uh both movies did different things 500 days of summer kind of teaches you or at least for me, taught you how to, like, uh, not obsess over people. Like, especially that. Like, you can't fixate on people like that. That's not a cool thing to do. Um, And you're a dick for doing it, no matter, like, (laughs) how it's phrased or uh, lit up. 
then uh, Eternal Sunshine is is kind of the same thing of like, you know, good things happen and the bad things happen. Like you need to be able to appreciate both of those things. Things have meaning through their ending, but at the same time, you can't. Our memory of those things is important. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like they're I, I'm slapping those two movies together because I feel like in a way they both kind of do. Or at least for me especially, they both got that same message across of, like, acceptance and moving on, and, you know, everything will be okay. Or it won't, and that's fine. Move on. I didn't see 500 Days. Like, a trailer for it looked good. Uh, it sounds like kind of a counter-narrative to 80s teen films in the way that yeah. it sounds great. I was it's <laughs> very good. I was I, wondering if the same thing, yeah. That sort of say-anything narrative is pretty fucking toxic, you, Well, So, have either of you seen it? The the movie is really interesting in the way that the the whole five hundred days aspect of it the it, the movie cuts around back and forth and it's a number next to a tree and that whether the tree is like blooming or like dying is cutting back and forth in the five hundred days like of their relationship together or of like knowing each other yeah. and it does that thing where it, it mirrors like. Oh, this is the like the blissful like honeymoon phase of dating, and then it cuts to like being a boring asshole about things just because you're like just doing it on purpose, like you're just yeah. trying to make some drama in the relationship. Yeah. But that's cool. Yeah, we're, sounds like very much a millennial film as opposed to a Gen X film. Yeah, it's definitely a millennial <laughs> we're, we're film. More that, we're more the high fidelity. <laughs> yeah, the the soundtrack definitely for the Five Hundred Days of Summer definitely shaped a lot of like. My music sensibilities too. Cool. I it's, it's funny that you mentioned that though because I love High Fidelity and that is oh, yeah. also it's a movie where it's like that you don't want to like look at the main character as an inspiration well, and well, then it sucks because he gets what he wants at the end. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm wondering to a certain extent if like Empire Records falls in a bit that same category for us, you know, like with regards to the you know the the. Well, it's about rewarding girl behavior. you can't get kind uh, of love story. Yeah, but it's again, it's sort of about rewarding bad behavior of being a bit stalkery. Sure, yep. <laughs> like AJ is kind of stalkery in that movie. Yeah, it's a very common trope that we grew up on, and it's a very bad problem. Yep. I mean, Empire, Record, Empire Records was good for other reasons, but there were, um, I mean, and I should say, like, because in case people get mad about this, because people get mad when you point that shit out, doesn't yeah. mean you can't like the movie. Yeah. Like, we, just understand the messages and think about what they mean. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, we did Empire Records for our show once, and uh, me it's and Josh I don't think both, it holds up that great. Yeah, me and Josh <laughs> both kind of came to the conclusion that uh, it it had its day. <laughs> well, there was that great deleted scene with Rex Manning talking to the young musician that I thought yeah. was so much better than the actual movie. Wow, <laughs> Empire. Uh, yeah, uh. there's this deleted scene in it where Rex Manning. Have you seen the movie? Empire Records been a long ass time, like right around yeah. when I watched High Fidelity the first time. Yeah. Well, Rex Manning's like the big musician guy, right? Like, uh-huh. He's what people remember, because of Rex Manning Day. I, I constantly manned. make reference to Rex Manning Day at, <laughs> at the shop, so... There's, yeah. there's a cut scene where he's outside, like, and he's... Because his assistant quit, he, he's like, how do I get... I need to fucking get a cab or something. Uh-huh. And he runs into the musician guy, who's mm-hmm. a very peripheral character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have this sort of talk about... Where Rex is like, yeah, I used to be, you know, young and interested in artistic integrity, and then over the years, I... Made a lot of money, and I became this. Yep. <laughs> and this is what I do for a living now. So you know, enjoy being young because this is <laughs> this is a station that you're passing through if you're successful. <laughs> and it's it's a really great scene, and yeah. it's so much more thoughtful than the rest of that fucking movie, which <laughs> is very bubblegummy. Anyway, uh, Eternal Sunshine. I really love Gondry. Mm. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. 
yeah the, that movie is that movie also like I said I know I talked more about 500 Days of Summer but yeah. lots of people have seen Eternal Sunshine and lots lots of smarter people than me have made like really great breakdowns and views of that I just also like love that movie was influential to me at the time I actually used to have a music video collection from Godry before that movie came out. So when it came out, I was like, ooh, it's a feature. I was going to say, yeah, for music, that one's got uh, Beck music and that amazing Polyphonic Spree song, which if you like the artist St. Vincent, she used to be the guitarist for Polyphonic Spree. That's my fun music tidbit. I don't even know, but Michelle Gondry used to make a lot of music videos back when people watched them. (laughs) (laughs) In a very sort of signature... That I think you see in a lot of his films is sort of cyclical, repeating, mm. like almost like mechanical construct thing to it. Whereas, I, I uh, have you ever seen the video for Daft Punk's Around the World? Oh yeah, yeah, that was one of his videos. Ah, oh, that makes sense. It's very much that sort of. Style. Wow, that's funny. That's actually one of my favorite ones. I've drawn like pictures based off of the like the little loop that they have in that. Yeah, it's a really great video and very indicative of Gondry's uh, style. Favorite Daft Punk song too. Do you have a particular co-host you want to go next, or can I? Yeah. No, yeah, I was just. Okay. You know, yeah. No, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> uh, uh, weirdly enough, my next one is more of a response to uh, your movie. <laughs> which, well, okay, we'll, we'll get to uh, it. Okay, so um, Kyle is our is our next contestant. Um, Kyle uh, has was with the show for what feels like forever because he wouldn't shut up. Um, just kidding, Kyle. We love you too. <laughs> Um, uh, again, another, another, uh, kind of, uh, wall to bounce me and Josh's ideas off of a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um. He was on numerous episodes. Yeah. Um. I always particularly enjoyed the, uh, the wrestling ones. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I think our show worked very well, works very well when there are two people who really like a thing and somebody who... Boo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do that with Nightly News, where you almost... Had a fight with me, I think. Uh, me and you have almost come to blows uh, famously, I believe, three times over the course of the show. Um, <laughs> one of which was never put on? Yes, one one of which... The lost uh, episode? Yeah, we had... The Philistines have... didn't appreciate? <laughs> uh, which, was, which was a Kyle episode, as I recall. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of the come to blows one might have been when Kyle was here. Yeah, well, he has a he has a way of instigating. He does. Um. <laughs> I I, I do want to say like his I think he was I think he's on the Shazam episodes that will be coming out. But I do think that yeah. the Godzilla ones are the the Godzilla or not the Godzilla one the uh, kaiju the kaiju big battle one is really a fitting allergy for him because editing it I'd forgotten it and it opens with him farting very disgustingly and us talking about it for like 20 minutes <laughs> because it was the worst fucking fart god there were dead things up in his ass <laughs> oh um, my god it was terrible yeah but but really like if you were, if if we were giving Kyle a send off for sure like <laughs> yes. that the memory that... of Kyle lingers over our podcast <laughs> like a really gross fart <laughs> like that spot he made on my fucking couch that night. <laughs> shit sting um, Kyle uh, picked two movies with uh, symbols in the title uh, hilariously I don't know if he did that on purpose but uh, I did I did quite enjoy it when I knew, when I was writing them down uh, lucky number eleven. Lucky Number Eleven is a movie I watched uh, once once a year since high school. It's a movie I always watch uh, in the fall when I felt like I was having bad luck and was a catalyst uh, to feel my luck would one day change. So uh, 
I uh, I have not seen Lucky Number Slevin. I am under the impression it is a heist movie of some sort. Um, I think so. Yeah. yeah, that's also my exact same knowledge. I have not seen it. And I think it's a heist movie. I worked at a movie theater that that showed it. And I remember frequently asking, "Did they mean seven? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think Slevin is the name of the main character. Yeah, no, it's something to do. There's a, there's a reason in there. I know. Yeah. but I, I just I never saw it. it. Might have been good. I don't know. Yeah. Um, not not talking shit on it. But it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I having uh, having no knowledge of the movie. It is it is one of those movies that people who enjoy that movie very <laughs> vocally enjoy that movie. It does it's have definitely like a, not a heist movie. Oh, is it not? <laughs> is it about child abuse or something? A, uh, so this is the IMDb synopsis written by team? production. A case of mistaken identity lands Slevin into the middle of a war being plotted by two of the city's most rival crime bosses, the rabbi and the boss. Slevin is under constant surveillance by relentless detective Brikowski, as well as the infamous assassin Good Cat, and finds himself having to hatch his own ingenious plot to get them before they get him. Oh, that's that's the movie. That's not heisty at all. Um, <laughs> but it, all three yeah. of us were like, "Yeah, it's a heist movie, isn't it?" Well, it, it has that. The cover definitely has that feel. It's got that like snatch look to it, and that's what I was going to suggest is that it, it was a lot like the the snatch sort of because it came out at the same time. Or it's just a crime movie, yeah. Or <laughs> seven same time ish. Also, yeah. I was also comparing it in my brain to like Seven Psychopaths, which I haven't seen Snatch. But from everything I've heard about Snatch, Snatch and Seven Psychopaths are basically the same thing. Uh, I, well, I don't, uh, I don't know why, but I always movie. lump... <laughs> you don't like that movie? I didn't care for it. Uh, I like that movie a lot. <laughs> I always lump the Fast and the Furious movies in with Lucky Number Slevin to uh, Fast and Furious movies, of which are movies that I have only seen one of. Uh, <laughs> so, Gotta do the Nosbra. Yeah, in the Nosbra. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely sometime going to have some sort of special. Oh, for you Fast and I and are you, you, you uh, and I are going to shotgun that like as many of those movies as we can. Boy, that's a day, isn't it? Um, and and we're doing an episode on it. It'll be one of the upcoming wild cards for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Kyle's second movie uh, is one that was actually on my list. Uh, so uh, thanks, Kyle, for 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 taking <laughs> taking the hit on this one and l- allowing me another opportunity. I Heart Huckabees. I Heart Huckabees is all about existentialism and feeling connected and disconnected from the people around you. It helped a young teenage Kyle not be such a self-centered asshole. Um, <laughs> I was a philosophy major in undergrad, and this movie came out while uh, while uh, while while I was, and it was the sort of talk of our of my cohort <laughs> oh. fairly regularly. Uh, how am I not myself? How would am be, I not myself? Would be, would be would be the platitude we would regularly exchange. <laughs> also on Josh's shelf, apparently, because he's showing me the yeah he's yep. showing me the special edition cover. So uh, he, uh, I don't think there was ever a Blu-ray of it. So all I have is a DVD. Yeah, uh, it's uh the the cast is great in that movie too. Like yeah, um, I need to rewatch it. I've only seen oh, it once. Oh, yeah. that it, easily yeah one of my favorite was, movies of all time too. It was Russell, right? Yeah, who yeah. I've, I've been following for since. Spain. Making the Monkey, which is a movie that has a plot summary, which is really gross, but is a very good movie. Well, it's just about <laughs> this guy's sort of like slow mental breakdown because of everyday life, you know, and yeah. and uh, it, uh, you know, and consumerism and getting to him and things like that. Um, it, it's it's a great companion piece in some ways, in my opinion, with Fight Club, because Fight Club has a lot of that same sort of. Uh, yeah. 
I heart Huckabees you're talking about. No. Yeah. 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 Spanking the Monkey. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I haven't seen I Spanking the Monkey. My Most fault. people haven't. There's a good uh, reason for that. No, I heart Huckabees and Fight Club. Like, if you want to, if you want to, holy, like, holy shit, where has our life gone off the rails kind of double feature. Like, I think mm-hmm. that those two sort of bookend each other in some ways. Yeah, I, I, would, heard, I would agree. It's a... I've always said that Fight Club is a, is a movie about a real problem and two bad solutions. Yeah. Yeah. And oh wow! Did, I, I want to hear more about, about a better that solution. Real, real fast. Tell me more because I like that. I think Fight Club is about the problem with reinterpreting masculinity coming into an age where traditional masculinity is recognized as being tied in with patriarchy and being bad for us and for women. Uh, which is a real problem, and it's it's one that people are tough to talk about because you don't want to take the discussion away from from women. But it's it's difficult to find a way to balance, and I think it's probably easier for younger people. Like I think it's easier with every generation. But definitely, you know, I watched my my grandfather had a lot of very sensitive nature to himself. He was very much kind of a, a hidden artist, but he couldn't express it because he was of the World War II generation. Like, you couldn't fucking talk about that shit. So he sure. appeared in a few plays and, uh, you know, probably cried in private. <laughs> and my dad was, like, he was a tough, buildy guy. He had a little bit of sort of that hippy-dippy, like, expressing your feelings. But at the end of the day, you still had to, like, build cars and do sports and be masculine. And then the generation that Aura and I are, like, so much of that has been flensed away. Like, so much of that has been recognized as, like, it's okay to be into those things if you're into them. But, like the fact that you're forced into the mold as a man is maybe not great. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the problem that I think is at the root of Fight Club and possibly at I Heart Hockey because I haven't seen it recently enough to really get into it. Maybe it's... Um, maybe you can tell me if it's apt in a minute. Uh, the solution is a Fight Club proposes the, the first bad... Not the worst, but bad solution is like... You know, have fights but remove the context. Like have masculinity enacted but in ways that removes... The, the hierarchical context of it. Like, you have a fight with another man, but not because you want to prove something or you want to dominate them, just because, you know, fighting should happen, right? Uh, but it doesn't solve the problem. It just gives you a brief outlet. Mm. That is the healthier of the two solutions, though, oddly enough. The other one would be Project Mayhem, which is tear down everything in the world. Right. But tearing down everything in the world, like, revolution always sounds great, except to people who are in precocious positions, because revolution will always kill the, the disadvantaged. Well, it's internal, they can't internal destruction versus external destruction in some way. So, yeah. Yeah. So the idea of, like... And it's it's notable in the book as opposed to the movie that they're not... Like, in the movie, they try to give it more of a point because they're destroying the credit record as though yeah. that were possible. Uh, yeah. in, in the book, they're just, like... I think they're just rolling the, the statue down the street and destroying a bunch of shit. Uh, and that doesn't really solve the problem either, does it? Like well, it just the... channels it channels your destruction towards what they posit as a useful end, but just again tearing stuff down victimizes people that are all around you, and that's Defin- just more toxic masculinity. It definitely in the book, it's it's anarchistic. It's yeah. not. There's no. Well, it's you know, it's uh, anarchistic towards a point because anarchism the, is not very in misinterpreted. Book. In the in the movie, they do the point. In the book, it's much more acting out to act out, basically. I mean... It, well, it their, their ultimate goal is to destabilize society. Yeah. And that's, that's in the ending when he's in the... The ending is so much better in the book. Yeah. The book is... The movie is a good movie, and I actually have it on my shelf, but I, I think it's... You should really... 
you should be forced to read the book. Spoilers, <laughs> spoilers. he dies in like the book, right? He doesn't die. He says that he does. Like the last chapter is framed around I'm in heaven now, but you quickly realize that he's really talking about being in a hospital and he's just using this metaphor uh. of being in heaven, but he keeps talking about people visiting him saying like soon Mr. Durgan. Mm. So like the, the ultimate goal of Project Mayhem is to destabilize society. Yeah. It's uh Fight Club 2 is trash, by the way. That comic is utter garbage. Oh, wow. I need I to reread say, it, but I don't it's know. not good. I, all well. I know is like how, because I don't know anything about 2, but I see the third one, because it's coming out like at work, and I'm like... What a fucking money grab. wonder what Jesus the jump Christ. from that, from Fight Club, like the one to number three is, because I don't know what the connecting thread is at all. I have no interest in three. wanted to pay his rent. I don't know. I'm sure. I wonder if there's just some of that because two is. I mean, two isn't bereft of ideas, but it just it never really focuses. I feel like two, a part of the. Oh boy, here we go. A part of Fight Club two's is is his frustration with not like having made quote a masterpiece unquote and now having to like do his trick again. You know. Well, a lot of two is him. Grappling with the way that it was received yeah. and his own feelings, which sometimes agree and sometimes disagree. That too, because it was a movie that was received in many ways that the, I'm fairly sure the author didn't. Contrary to how he would want yeah, people to like, they look at Tyler Durden as a hero. Yeah, which is not how he wanted. You know. Yeah. Um. But but the uh, he does he does have deep-seated feelings about that. I have heard interviews where he talks a lot about that. Um, yeah, he's a weird interview. Like, he doesn't seem to totally know how he feels about it, which I get. Like, it's got to have changed his life in weird ways. Before I take your next uh, movie, yeah. let me just real quickly heart, loop it back to I Heart Huckabees. Um, I, I don't recall I Heart Huckabees having a ton of gender stuff. No. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't. I'm sure it does, but... Uh, the, well, the dealing with the modernity. Yeah, well, the, yeah, and that that and they, that's what I was just going to say was that that I Heart Huckabee's really has this Marxist critique of society because you know of the of the of the place he works and things like that being being an yeah, ad, they get, ad agency or something. They get to the the angle a little bit, I would say, but it, it's more like a the impression that I get is. Like, it starts off with uh, Jason Bateman's character as, like, this is how his life is unraveling. This is how he's, like, finally seeing the bigger picture. But my favorite part about that movie is how it it really does spiral out and it hits, like, other people around him and they end up going through the exact same thing. And when it hits, like, his adversary and then his adversary's girlfriend and then she goes through... The, yeah. the same thing in her whole deconstruction is like, why do I have to be pretty enough to be valuable? And then that becomes another like big comment on it and the whole like Huckabee's thing and keeping your image all shiny and clean when uh, it's yeah. not like that. If I recall a lot of the, where the film sort of ends up is the idea that like the, with, with society being compromised, you have to work on yourself because you're, you, you can try and affect the outside world, but there's only so much you can do. Yeah, it's it's. I I like to recommend message. I like to recommend that movie to people that are like, if you want to feel better by the end of the movie, like you really do feel like a like it's all connected. None of it's connected. It doesn't matter. Like yeah, we can we can work things out. Like even blah, blah, even blah. when life is bad, it's still life, and there's there's value in it. Yeah, there is value in it. All right, Josh, your next movie. Cool. Uh, my next movie, when, I, when you talked about Inception, I said there was a movie that had done it better on my list, and that's Until the End of the World by Wim Benders. I thought you were going to say Matrix. No. <laughs> God, no. 
<laughs> wait till, wait till my number five pick. All right, well, we'll have a fun be, discussion. You'll be surprised when you click on this clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Until the End of the World is a very weird film by German filmmaker Wim Wenders, who was previously well-known as the master of the road movie, like stories about people taking a trip. And he decided to make the ultimate road movie. Uh, and his idea of the ultimate road movie in its original cut was 12 hours long. Oh, Easy Rider. No, go on. I'm sorry. Uh, The people who wanted to release his film were clearly disinterested in a film that would run all day. Uh, And he eventually, like, there were different several versions of it released. I don't know why. The most common theatrical being like about two hours. uh, When you said he eventually, I was going to say released it on a special edition (laughs) Blu-ray. Well, there's. We'll get to that. Oh, good. Because it's finally coming. Because there's a fucking good end to this. Um, but there, he did put together an author's uh, or a, a director's version that's like I think a touch over four hours, which is sort of his his statement on the film eventually. Sure, uh, it's about it's set in a world where there's like these asteroids about to hit the, wor- the world and like civilization is about to end, but it's not really about that. Instead, it's about this woman who gets mixed up with this uh, this weird dude who's. Like, there's money stolen and technology moving and all this stuff around the world. And she ends up, they end up chasing each other around the world. But where it sort of ends up is on the idea that this, this guy that she's following is involved with his father in making this machine that records dreams. And there's this great bit at the end, uh, I guess I'm spoiling a bit, where they, they find, they get all this stuff there and they arrive at there and they build the machine that lets you view and record dreams and they all become lost in their own dreams sort of a Lotus Eaters sequence uh-huh. mm-hmm. and they have to like free themselves uh, from from the addiction of their of their own fantasies uh, it's a really great really meandering really fucking crazy ass movie and it had a great soundtrack with uh, talking heads and shit <laughs> uh, and it used to play weirdly a, a heavily cut version used to play on Comedy Central in afternoons which is where I first encountered it hmm. uh, it has long been out of print in America because of rights issues. I don't know that it's ever had an actual American DVD release before. Uh, I have a copy of it that is from a Turkish magazine release with English subtitles. Wow. Which is the copy that I was finally able to track down of it, of the shorter version. But after he made the, after Wenders made the director's cut version and started touring, uh, he was able to make finally strike some sort of rights deal, and they're releasing it in Criterion for December for what will be the greatest fucking Christmas present I ever get. So I'll finally get to watch a four-hour fucking cut of this movie. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> and I think it was influential on me because it was a movie that you know normally Comedy Central afternoons you expect PCU, right? Sure. And instead, I got this. Fucking weird, and it's in English, but it's by a German guy. So like a ger- fucking weird German road movie that jumped all over the place, and I, I think it really hit my emerging indie film sensibilities. That's crazy. I've never even heard of this one. So it's yeah, it's not super well known because it's been out of print forever. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, uh, earlier you mentioned movie movies that had like uh, you know. Uh, you watched it and you loved it and then the second time you saw it you're like well that fell off quite a bit yeah i'm gonna go the opposite way a movie that i didn't enjoy the first time i saw it but now with subsequent watches have been like what the hell did i not see the you know like the first time i and i i I actually know exactly what happened so big lebowski is is, (laughs) uh is is this movie for me um 
I, I don't know if there's a day that goes by I don't quote some quote from this movie or have some thought from this movie. Um, I, I literally just watched it the day before yesterday because I was like, I'm turning 40. Like, this movie's all about, like, you know, this guy's, you know, moment in, in, in sort of being of a particular age, you know? And, and, and I was like, yeah, I, you know, I mentioned uh, to Josh, like, very early on in our relationship, like, in the 90s, I was the dude. Like, I was, I was, I, I did walk around in things like bathrobes and just, like, like, and, and this was before The Big Lebowski came out. Like, I was, I was this lazy turd of a guy, you know, who, who would go on wacky adventures because of some dumb slight or whatever, you know? Um, and... And so, so this movie, it, it hit me, I think, a little too close the first time I watched it. I also had to pee, and it felt like it ended three different places. Like, there were definitely three places where that movie could have just been over. And like, <laughs> and, but then, you know, they, then the other thing happened, and then, and then the other thing happened, and I was like, I just have to pee. Honestly, it, it's kind of a movie that could end at any point. <laughs> uh, well, that too. Um, and so... so it was a movie the first time I watched it. I definitely had to use the restroom. And I was like, but I don't want to stop because I know I'm going to miss the point of it or whatever. Of which, by the way, <laughs> there is none. Um, right? Um, I mean, so, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, ha- it makes points, but not point. Yeah. That's that's how to how to. I was just deciding if I wanted to spend half an hour making an argument around the point of the Big Lebowski. Yeah, no, no, fair. No, it, it makes points, but that's it how I do film points. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this was really like like I said, an influential film on me and lots of other people. Uh, Is very associated with a particular time and place to me too, because sure. I watched it when I moved to San Francisco, like I mentioned. Uh, I've mentioned times on the podcast, and we'll get into in a bit. Um, <laughs> sure. But at the time, I was moving in with this this girl that I had been dating, and uh, basically all we did was watch Coen Brothers movies and Mike Myers movies, and this was before he'd gotten really bad. Uh, and what was the other thing that we were both really into? Pot? No. I mean, a little, but no. Speed. <laughs> LSD. Live music. No, Bowling. you're not helping. I mean, we, <laughs> we did both love Ween, and we went to see Ween live in the Mollusk tour. So that was oh great. shit, that's badass. Yeah, it was awesome. Listen, uh, listen to him. Here's cash. a here's listen a. Listen, li- hang on, no, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have this moment with this because he just casually name dropped some stuff and was gonna move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was just it was a fun, it was a fun young time in my life. Yeah. To be, like, young and in love and watching all this stuff and learning about the world. You know... And then uh, we started fighting a shitload and she broke it off, which was probably for the best. <laughs> well, she she turned... I mean, from stories I've heard, she turned out to be kind of a crazy toxic person, right? Like... Uh, my first... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our relationship didn't turn out great. Yeah. You're young, you do things that sometimes you regret, and sometimes things are done to you that you regret. But it was a... Ain't there were beautiful the moments Boy, in that. God. Put that on my fucking tombstone. <laughs> right? <laughs> Oof. We don't have to dwell anymore on the Big Lebowski, <laughs> but what do you... Uh... But it was, it was so associated with it because it had just come out at that time, yeah. and we watched that movie so many fucking times. Especially being in San Francisco, we could go to fucking... Uh, to rep theaters, like theaters that would show older movies, because there were still a lot. I don't know if there are now, but there used to be a ton of repertory theaters in San Francisco. And so we'd, we'd catch fucking midnight screenings or whatever, the Big Lebowski, whatever we could. 
Well, I re- you know, when Big Lebowski came out, like, I was just seeing whatever movie kind of came out that week. That, that was a thing I feel like we could do easily in the 90s because movies were reasonably priced and you weren't, yeah. like, creating an event to go to them. And... Well, and I worked for a movie theater. I could, I could come, I wanted oh. the free tickets. Yeah, I worked for a movie theater, <laughs> but not did. while this was, uh, you know, while yep. this was a... We um, all three was, did. At the time, there was this weird web in San Francisco where almost all the movie theaters would give each other passes. Oh, hmm. sure. Uh, God, that... Anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about San Francisco yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, but so a lot of the movies I've been listing are things that I actually saw in the theater because I could, you know, like right. like I'll kill a Friday afternoon five bucks, you know, like yeah. uh, uh, and it's uh, it used to be less of a production. Yeah, now it's it's become. Uh, we don't have time to go into my yeah. theories about this. No, <laughs> what's your next film, high art, Josh? low art. Uh, it's Cody's film. Yeah. Oh, Cody gets to go. I guess. <laughs> uh, my have a guest. My next. Uh, my next pick because we're still not to after this one. It should be everybody's top five. I think. Nope. Nope. One more guest and yep. then top five. Yep. Ah. We do a guest and then we do our mystery science theaters and then uh, we'll do another guest and then we'll do top five. Actually, so, we have two guests. Yeah, like I said, we'll do a guest. We'll do mystery science theater top tops from each of us. Then guess. we'll do the other guest and then we'll each do our top five. Okay. Okay. We're at two hours now. I know. <laughs> okay. I don't know if we're going to record the other episode. All right, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> we, you, I mean, if Josh doesn't hate doing this too, we can split this dude in half and just uh, nah, release part of it on Monday, part of it on Tuesday. It's a it's a 40th anniversary special. Well, this will probably be really compressed. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next one was Akira. Do you haven't seen Akira? Watch Akira. Akira's okay. sick. Uh, Akira Tetsuo. takes place this year. That's true. Yeah. Canada! Tatsuo! Uh, one of the greatest, not just sci-fi, but sci-fi horror movies, arguably, of all time. Um, yeah, topical now, but uh, Taika Waititi, who directed Thor Ragnarok and What We Do in the Shadows, is uh, being slated to direct the live-action version, which they have said for like decades that they're making a live-action version of Akira. Yeah. We'll see it if it happens, but man, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, I think I think that's a a good pick. Get somebody who's going to like style it in a specific way or in a certain way, and that lens would be very interesting. But uh, uh, also just the technical amazing amazing wonder that it is in animation, like the the frames. And the era where, at that point in time, like all you had digital to do was just like composite your shots together to make that easier. Other than that, that shit's still like one hundred percent hand drawn for every single frame of that thing. And it's so beautifully drawn. Yeah, it's an incredible film to look at still. And then, and then you find out like later that uh, the movie itself is almost like less than one third of what the actual story is. So if it feels a little like vague and inaccessible during certain parts and you're just like, Oh, well maybe I just need to be getting like the emotion of these scenes, which is true for the movie is not true at all for the books. There's a (laughs) shit ton there. And uh, yeah. So read the comics too. Yeah. There's been a lot of criticism of it. I think of, of of late with people going back to it and saying like, well, there was so much more in the manga and like treating it as a bad adaptation uh, as a result. But I think it kind of, I think it omits its era yeah. to do that and misses misses the point of, well, of why it's significant. The the cut that is the movie itself, like, you still get definitely enough of the ideas about, like, 
you don't it's one of those things where it's kind of like time travel movies like how with Looper he's like we don't need to get into the specifics of it it's like yeah you're, you're watching a sci-fi movie like just accept these certain things there's these weird yeah. kid things Akira's a god blah 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 yeah and it never makes much sense but it it's more to. about the the journey <laughs> itself because even even the main I would say almost protagonist of the movie by the time you're getting into the end action he still has no idea what the fuck's going on he's just That's like true. he's just doing what he knows what to do and trying to save the day the best that he can and in the end like nothing he did really mattered that much yep. and it was outside of his control <laughs> all along which is a thing that I uh, love in movies hashtag hereditary watch hereditary uh, hashtag also. 12 monkeys which was also honorable mention on my list <laughs> yep legit uh, <laughs> watch legite instead uh, yeah, whatever uh, anyway um, but yeah Akira is definitely a cool pick uh, and I think it's interesting for me and Aura too because it was such a the thing to understand it in its historical context is that it was the first anime yeah yeah uh, which isn't to say that there weren't anime films made before. Obviously, Japan was making several of them. Uh, and it's not to say that there weren't films from Japan, animated films from Japan, or animated shows from Japan brought over before, because there were, like right. Speed Racer and Gotcha Man and all that shit. Right? Gotcha Man! <laughs> uh, Robotech might have even predated it. it Astro Boy. Uh, Astro Boy. But it was the first anime, because it was yeah. the first thing that presented it. Like, all those other things were kind of trying to... Neo-Tokyo is, is a about great to example. explode. So as, is, as so is Voltron. Gotcha Man. And Gotcha Man. They're trying to present themselves as very international, very sort of flensed of national identity. Right? Mm. Love the word flensed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I mean, uh, how that ends up happening in something like Gotcha Man is... Like whole character bits are cut out because they yeah. don't want to offend particular yeah. audiences. Yeah, things that are culturally specific are taken out. Yeah. Um, Akira was the first thing that gave you sort of a glimpse of what that style of anime really was, I think. Yeah. Certainly the first thing that I saw that did. And it, even like, while it has that, that very specific, like, uh, Eastern animation like look to it. It's still distinctively its own style. Like there, oh, yeah. there is. It's kind of like when you look at anything that Toriyama did, and you're like, yeah, that's the Dragon Quest guy. That's the Dragon Ball Z guy. Like yeah. you look at Akira, and you you can tell exactly what that is. Or when people are like, everybody loves to reference the bike slide scene in like in cartoons and other movies. Like that is just an immediately like a. You see it and you're like, oh, this person's a fan of Akira. Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a great movie. Very important. Yeah. Sure. Uh, our next guest host was uh, Christina. Christina is an interesting case because she actually was never on anything that we put on the. That we put up. <laughs> she was a guest host for a very specific experiment we did when we first launched Further Ado. Yep. Uh, where we thought it was going to be more stuff other than movies. Yeah. Like we mostly stick with movies and TV shows these days, yeah. but with a few experiments, I think. But uh, initially, we thought it would just be sort of whatever we do. So because we'd done the Save by the Bell comics, I bought a copy of the Save by the Bell board game. Uh, we got a bunch of wine coolers, and we played it and and drank wine coolers. <laughs> I, I mean... And it was a little rough. Yeah, well... <laughs> Possibly because the mic got wine coolers over more than so once. Yeah, we, there was initially an idea that <laughs> so we were supposed it. to be drinking on this show, too, and we even yeah. discussed it, and then uh, no, nobody wanted to do that. Like, unspokenly, we all showed I, up, and we're just like, let's not I, drink. Yeah. 
I had a, enough. you know, I, I drank for my birthday last week. I was just about I'm to still say. still paying for it. Figured. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but it, the audio from it wasn't great. I still have it. Like, somebody we might post it as a bonus, but I didn't want to put it up as a regular episode just because of the audio issues. Chris, but it wasn't because we don't like Christina, because she is a gem. Uh, Christina was a fantastic guest host on that episode, and... And She's had very she, Texan. Had she not moved far, far away, uh, we definitely would have attempted to have her back for other things. Yeah. But then she got a real kid job and friggin' now is... Yeah, she moved to D.C. and forgot all about us. Being an adult, as far as I can tell. Hi, Christina. You probably won't listen to this, but if you do, you're awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, not true. And I'll, oh. uh, I'll oh. talk more about that in the next episode. All right. Um, but... Uh, so Christina says, uh, the first of two movies, cause she sent me this over the course, she thought a lot about this, I could tell, because she sent me the cor- over the course of a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, the no, first movie... The interesting thing about her is, like, she's a fun person, but if you ask her to do something, she takes things pretty fucking seriously. Yeah, absolutely. She doesn't half-ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, ten things about, hey, I hate about you. I absolutely love this movie, but the sh- the soundtrack is the star. This was the first movie... I realized there was music and it wasn't just background filler. It taught me that I could be myself and not give a damn about my bad reputation. Uh, to which, uh, Ten Things About You, it's a contemporary remake of Taming of the True. <laughs> a uh, very good movie. With, yes. Uh, with, with a bunch of actors before they were important. Heath Ledger in particular. Yeah. In one of his early JGL. Um, and, uh, and Julia Stiles. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who, who would go on to, to be in... Become an oddly good actor. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened, but like, stuff like Just like, like in Inception. And he was in 500 Days of Summer, right? I 500 Days of Summer, yep. And He's Inception. really fucking good. And we talked about Looper very briefly, so... The... I always thought he was a kid from, from Third Rock. Third <laughs> but at some point, he became a great actor. Cause and we, and Brick, we in particular, is fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we've been, me and you have been talking about 30 Rock the last couple of days. Brick in particular is amazing. I, I hope Aura agrees because I made him yeah. watch it. Yeah, no, Brick was great. <laughs> He's great yeah. in that. Um, Brick, Brick was surprising. Like, it, it the, uh, I don't know what that movie um, was thinking with its cover art and it the way it sold itself. So low it, key, but. Yeah, it's re- it, like it really could have, like, had they done something different with the, I think that movie could have been bigger than it was. Have you seen it, kind of? Brick, uh-uh. That sounds yeah, really wow. familiar. <laughs> the, I, yeah. But it's by uh, Rand Johnson. Oh, yeah. It's one of his oh, first films. Yeah, that's right, because I've definitely heard about this because it's, Ryan Johnson did Looper, too. It was out of print for a while. I think it's coming back in, but I have a DVD that I Because this was the one. <laughs> and then I know people compare... Joseph Gordon-Levitt is also in another movie called Hesher, and they compare Hesher to Brick one. a lot. Okay. I'm going to have to see that someday. Yeah. That one's on Hulu right now, I think. Uh, this is the movie that I watched. I was like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is actually a fucking genius actor. <laughs> and there, there is a former episode where we talk about Brick that may end up in the archive someday. Is there? Yep. That's oh, how okay. you made me watch it. You made me watch it for the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Christina's second pick, Sound of Music. This was my first introduction to the Holocaust, so now Godwin's Law has been um, <laughs> has been enacted. Uh, plus, I love I love uh, singing, and it was uh, one. I think this is of the first movies I could watch with my mother, my birth mother, and we both enjoyed. Uh, I saw this movie twenty five years ago, and I still waltz around the house singing the songs. 
which is true. I have seen her doing that. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, solve a problem like Maria. Yep. No, she, she 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 does have that those songs frequently in her head because I. That's very her. Yep. So, uh, and I have not actually seen The Sound of Music either. Um, I have. Really? So I'm, not, I'm not huge into musicals. It is a good one for what it was. My favorite thing about... Mean, we didn't talk much about 10 Things I Hate About You. It's actually really fun. Oh, good. yeah. Oh, I'm God. sorry. God. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. If you Dance haven't seen it. one week. It's a great sort of teen movie classic, and it redoes Taming of the Shrew in a way that makes it much less objectionable, because Taming of the Shrew is fucking god-awful. I, I did see a copy of Ten Things I Hate About You, the 10th anniversary edition, in uh, in a Walmart clearance bin on Blu-ray. So if you if you are looking to actually watch some of these movies, I can I can attest <laughs> that one will at least be a $5 pick for you. Oh, that movie's all over the place. You can get copies of it for super cheap. And you should be able to, because it's awesome, and everyone yeah. should watch it. Yeah. Great movie. Definitely great soundtrack. Really universal. Great date movie, if you're looking mm-hmm. for a date. Oh, yeah. God. There's, yeah, just I'm just like thinking through the movie right now, and it's yeah. just one of those like I don't want to talk about it. I really just want to watch it again. Yeah. Like it's just it really is a beginning to end enjoyable movie. The safe isn't it has the safe Ferris cover of Want You to Want Me. Yep. Oh, Where they're, they're playing cover. on the roof too. Oh, and the beautiful cinematography of that fucking place. Yep. God, what a movie! And it's got the and guy it that's... it didn't need to be as good as it was too for a sort of throwaway teen movie, but mm-hmm. it was so good. <laughs> she doesn't think I've had so great choice. Yeah, no. Th- uh, thank you very much for for taking the assignment seriously, Christina. You, I know you could have gone otherwise because you haven't been on the show very often. So yeah, and you have lots to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, with having an important job and all. Yeah. Uh, so we want to do our mystery science theater episode. I now? do because that was formative on all of us. Yeah, absolutely, easily. Definitely. That's the next tattoo that I'm getting. <laughs> part of part of our new Cody would be a good fit. I'm sure he could tell as soon as he set foot in my apartment and saw my I have all of my riffing stuff separated out on a separate fucking unit. My uh, <laughs> my mystery science theater and also riff tracks and cinematic Titanic. And <laughs> jo- Josh may not know this others. about me in mystery science theater. One of my first online handles was actually Crow T Robot. Uh. <laughs> it's it's fitting because you identify in that way because I'm very much a Tom Servo man it's true that's wow that's perfect <laughs> and, does that and make, now you sitting on the couch with us I was going like, to say does that make who who, who would I be Gypsy like Joel? of course oh, I, think be, I think he'd be a good Joel actually yeah. Joel I like Jonah too host. like maybe Jonah yeah I think but I mean that's you just, could do a Jonah Dude, Jonah. Cambot. Yeah, Cambot. I was just thinking of it in terms of the two classical, which by which I do not mean any insult to the new ones because they're all yeah. Really it's good. Uh, right. it's Joel and I definitely and... that for way. So well, I have the Reptilicus uh, VHS uh-huh. on display. There's testifies that I spent way too much fucking money matching a Kickstarter. <laughs> well, so Mystery Science Theater. What this is is they play old movies, and and you have. Uh, you know uh, these these three characters, shadow box characters, kind of kind of talking over the movie and making fun of it as it goes. <laughs> um, it's a, th- I mean, it's a thing me and Josh have talked about it doing as a as special episodes on these things with yeah, some of the further reviews is that we would do our own sort of riffs with these things. And it's um, and it's very imp- very important show and Or and I getting to know each other too yeah. because shortly after you moved here there was a, I'd seen that there was a call for paper for mystery science theater papers and I was thinking about doing it as I was starting to become more academically inclined and I was like I don't know. Can you really get published in those things? And Aura encouraged me, and eventually uh, decided to co-author because he was originally going to work with had a commitment to somebody else, but that dropped out. And so we wrote a, our first academic paper together. It was a, yep. about a sort of 
audience reaction analysis on Mystery Science Theater. Uh, uh yeah. I was I was about to tell the the other part of that story, but oh, that, yeah. that can be for another day. Yeah, <laughs> where, where a very famous film guy Henry Jenkins was not impressed. That's mm. correct. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Later, when my I former become professor, your boss. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't my boss. He was my former professor. Oh, sorry. And I, I never TA'd for him. Oh, I thought you were TAing for him. My fault. Nah. He, um, didn't, he didn't teach that much, honestly. I mean, so 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 sub list within this list. Do you have? Uh, I came up with three of my favorite episodes. Did you come up with three of yours? I can do a few. I, uh, my my favorites are the Fugitive Alien movies. Oh sure. Uh, they're they're based on a thing that they would frequently do in the Joel years, where they would take a. Japanese TV shows that have been re-edited by companies, usually Sandy Frank, <laughs> the author, the author of All Our Misery, according to a song, <laughs> which apparently I don't think the Sandy Frank estate appreciated. <laughs> but he, what they would do is they'd buy these Japanese TV shows and re-edit them into movie-length things to sell to, to package to, to stations that were looking to fill airtime, basically. Uh, Fugitive Alien and Fugitive Alien Two were from a show called I think Star Wolf. Uh, about this evil alien empire and there's guys in them called the Star Wolves and one of them finds out that the, that the evil aliens are in fact evil and for some reason decides to care so he joins up with the good guys on the Bacchus 3 as they are mercenaries but secretly maybe working for the good guys and trying to overthrow the evil empire it's not super fucking clear like the way that they edited these movies was not great for clarity um it was very indicative. Like when Mystery Science Theater dealt with uh, Japanese material in particular, it was sometimes a bit problematic. I felt like they made jokes that sometimes bordered on things that you maybe didn't want them to do. But they were also fucking hilarious, and I really loved the fucking Fugitive Alien ones. And I don't think they were too bad, <laughs> except maybe that they call everyone Ken. <laughs> but that's but that's a joke within the film where they genuinely everybody kind of. That's horrible to say, but it's tough to tell some characters apart, and a lot of people are named Ken, <laughs> as far as anyone can tell. Uh, I would also give my my shout out to the uh, oh fuck, what was his name? The guy who did Red Zone Cuba, uh, and Creature of Yucca Flats. I'm not remembering his name. Give me a second here. Is the, are you running through your whole list right now? I'm going... Yeah, I'm going through my, okay. my few Mystery Science Theater ones. Okay. Well, while you're looking that up, I can talk about This Island Earth for a moment. Okay. Uh, this Island Earth was the one that they released into theaters. The only Mystery Science Theater that was released into theaters for years and years anyway. They, they have since done more. Um, but... Uh, I, I often will make jokes about the interrocitor as, you know, when I'm talking about things that are needlessly complicated. Um, but, uh, or uh, whenever I screw up big, I, I like to quote the line, um, look, I even had it double underlined and everything. <laughs> when Tom Servo flies out the, the uh, airlock. <laughs> do not do that. Or maybe it was Crow. I guess I don't remember which one of the robots it was. Tom Servo plugs the hole, but yeah. Crow was was the one who actually dug the hole, as I recall. That's that's how that goes down in that scene. Anyway, there it, it's, it's yeah because he says he uh, calculated the odds of it being a bad idea, and then he did it anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I, uh, I, I just, uh, you know, the, the cut bits in that movie had to be a little bit higher standard because, because it was a feature film. Um, so it was weird, like, seeing everything lit up differently. And I, like, the set not looking like it was made of shit glued on from a fucking junkyard. Show. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Which it was. So, so <laughs> in it, the best way. It was weird seeing that context change in this thing that I had grown up with for years and years earlier, but... But uh, I did I did quite enjoy also this island Earth uh, that they that they riffed in that particular movie. It's a good, very accessible uh, feature. Yeah, um, pretty sure that's the. I was just trying to look at the stills from the one. I think that's the one that's got the joke where they like land in a gra- like land a plane in a grassy field and they're like yes. they kidnapped us to Branson, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, my my favorite joke of that is when they have all the interocitor parts spread out. Uh, and they're like it's a thousand parts, and then they start moving around and the. The boss and, and, and Mike keep going. Nine hundred ninety nine. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, well, there's just this needlessly complicated apparatus. I'm like, I'm like, are you building an interocitor? Josh has heard me say it a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, uh, I mean, uh, a couple of my other favorites, Mitchell and Monos, of course, which are which are mainstays of the thing. Mm-hmm. But the. I, I was thinking about it while you were talking, Josh, and what occurred to me was it's really the shorts that I like, too. Like, when they do the yeah. mental hygiene shorts and things like that. I mean, like, some of the longer-form movies are pretty great, but but I did always love the shorts. There's one about, like, uh, majoring in uh, home education. Oh, the home ec one. The yeah. home ec one. Yeah. Which I think is on Mitchell. It's either on Mitchell or Mono. Uh, Viking in the... Oh, is it? Viking women versus the sea serpent. Oh, wow. Mur. Yeah, no, it's sad I know these things. Well done. Uh... It's it's one of my fucking favorite bits. State in Fair, story. oh my god! State Fair was great. Yeah, no, I I would go around <laughs> singing State Fair for years. Every time somebody would bring up a State Fair, I would you know just say to them, "I'm like our State Fair is the best State Fair." <laughs> and my wife actually thought I was referencing the original movie. So for years and years, I had this gag that she thought was hilarious, and like I to this day, I, she might not know. That I'm actually referencing the mystery science theater version of the. <laughs> no one tell her because she yeah. is not going to listen to this. No, yeah, no, don't let her in on the secret. <laughs> but it, but it, she, she actually legitimately loves the movie State Fair, so <laughs> or the play or whatever it was. Yeah, so mystery science theater kind of awoke in me my love for instructional films and Majora knows about he's bought yeah. me some yeah. mm-hmm. like you bought me a VD film thing which if, I appreciate if I, if I ever come across them I, I always am like Josh Josh loves these I have a book that's a history of instructional mm-hmm. film things I have a there's this documentary called Sex Open Parentheses Ed Close Parentheses about like sex ed films that is one of my favorite documentaries Cody any favorites <laughs> yeah I was so I a couple of them I couldn't think of like which one specifically it won uh, I got to see the last live tour that they did, so definitely Ega, which is was the Watch Out for Snakes one, which is the the Caveman movie, which I always forget his name, but it's the tall gentleman that's in Happy Gilmore that ends up with the like nail stuck out of the side of his head. It's like one of his first movies ever, and then absolutely uh, the Touch of Satan, easily one of my all time favorite that makes ones. Sense. So, Garrison Keeler jokes. Uh, there's so many like weird like small town things. Uh, just that was that was one of the only ones too where I got into Mystery Science Theater 3000 and I was constantly trying to get my family to watch it with me, and they would always do the like 
we we were movie talkers too, and it was like their complaints were like we we already want to talk over these movies, and now these people are already doing that for us. Like, what are we really watching? And Touch of Satan was the only one that I could get them to ever like focus on and actually like had the validation of them laughing at the jokes too so it was like i know that this is good like this is good you guys suck so speaking of nick as a guest host one of the movies i saw with nick while we were while we were in bg was uh was uh twilight we ended up having to go (laughs) with uh with with a friend of his that uh was not feeling good about herself and he didn't want to see it alone (laughs) so he dragged me along for the ride and like I couldn't hold it in at a certain point. I just started riffing on the thing, like, and I'm going and like these two teenage girls, like to the left of us, were you know super disappointed in the fact that we weren't taking this like experience seriously. But basically, everybody kind of else around us like started to get in on the action, and uh, including the people I was with. And so uh, the funniest riff I ever heard live happened at this showing. What happens is there's a scene in Twilight where he's perched in her window or something and she wakes up and like and she's like, "Oh my god, I didn't know you were there or whatever." And he's like, "I watch you while you sleep every night." And somebody riffs from like three rows in front of us. "Get out of there, girl. He crazy." <laughs> <laughs> like I laughed so hard I stopped breathing. That's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, had a, I had a similar experience watching it, but it might have just been called Dummy. It was like a horror movie with a dummy. It's fucking oh. stupid as shit. <laughs> is it? Oh, is it like the famous one? It's Dead Something. Yeah, Dead Silence or something. Like De- that? Yes, that that's one. what it is. Yes, yeah. That this sucks. Awesome. It's so fucking stupid. Yeah, uh, but there's a scene where they go to the graveyard. In it, and I think it's a woman, it's a main character, and she she's chased by the dummy back to her car, and there keeps being this this dummy is like trapped her in her car, and there keeps being like impressions of it, and somebody in the audience yells, "Bitch, drive off!" <laughs> That's which, what, yeah, that was pretty fucking great. <laughs> Bitch, drive off. I've heard... Turn, she doesn't even try to turn the fuck... She turns the lights on, but she doesn't fucking stay <laughs> Drive! But it's this a is car! A, this is a pretty it's cool a dummy. thing. dummy. He's not going to keep up. This is a pretty cool thing that has become a part of our cultural milieu, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, do, I do think that... I, I, I did was, want to talk about the other ones very briefly. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I, absolutely. I, uh, the Coleman Francis trilogy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, which would be Skydivers, Beast of Yoka Flats, and Red Zone Cuba, a.k.a. Night Train to Mundo Fine. <laughs> uh, Colin Francis was a weird Hollywood type who played a few heavies and then decided to make his own films. Uh, he was basically Ed Wood, but very surly and depressing. <laughs> and his films are just these weirdly nihilistic, horrible pieces of shit that are incredible to watch. <laughs> Beast of Yucca Flats might be my favorite because he either didn't have sound on his camera or fucked up the sound recording, so the entire thing is dubbed over by this guy who keeps saying that shit crazy stuff to try and bridge the fact that they don't have any sound. The, one of my favorite moments in Mystery Science Theater ever is just them watching. Like It's just like a car driving and all of a sudden the narrator says flag on the moon. How'd it get there? <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Oh, man. So occasionally I say that when I, when I want to yeah. be like something weird, you know, uh, flying on the moon, how'd it get there? <laughs> how'd it get there? 
so uh, was that was that your pick, Josh, or did you have a pick too? Those were those were my five picks. <laughs> no, <laughs> Since I meant... we started doing yeah, okay. my favorites are the fugitive aliens, and then I'm also fond of the. No, I meant classes. next up on your. Oh, next up on well, next we're going to do the last uh, guest, right? Last guest, and then we're going to get in the oh, final last, five. Last guest. And I think Who is last guest? Yeah. And where did I put their stuff? Okay. <laughs> Oh, last guess is Jessica. Jessica, Jessica Rope. No, no, Jessica She is uh she's somebody who's been on several of our shows. She's the only one with the distinction of having been on every graphic novelty show. She is. You uh you almost challenged her title, but that show never came went up, so Yeah, I tried. She she has the award for uh, being the only person who, uh, yeah, not even me, who graphic novelty listeners had to have been sick of hearing words from at or, a certain point. Or Spencer or Brandon, who founded the network. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, Jessica, uh, who I almost said again her last name. Uh, because you want to say her name to separate it. Yeah, from the other, yeah. Who um, isn't Jessica. Yeah, <laughs> that's true too. So? Uh, all right, her, uh, her movies. <laughs> Man, I wonder if I should read all the preamble that came up to these movies. Um, you're, you're trying to drag it out of her? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, dang. I she only has have, so much else to do. I can only pick two? Well, shit. Shit, this is real hard. Shit. Um, <laughs> the Craft. The Craft helped turn teenage Jessica into a knockoff uh, rack-witchy goth wannabe and started <laughs> off the development of my, uh, my favorite brand of bad attitude. And if you have ever met her in person, 100%. <laughs> this, yeah. this, this tracks, for sure. It does. Um, the, the Craft uh, is a movie that I saw uh, a couple of times. I saw it uh, because I had two different friend groups at the time. And I ended up seeing it like not only once in, in the regular theater, but I also saw it in the dollar theater. Um, oh, I love the dollar but, theater. But the thing mm-hmm. about it was, is it... It's this just sort of semi-predictable, like, you know, like, uh, horror movie about witches. You know, um, they're just, I mean, as a movie goes, there's there's no there there. But I can totally see how it would be influential at a certain age. A lot of teenage girls around that time were really influenced by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was influenced by the really cool cover of uh, Ending Love by, by Love Spit Love on it. <laughs> oh, the, that soundtrack was great in that movie for sure. Um, did you ever see the craft, Cody? I haven't. Um, I know that's one of those it's, like it's on a, it's on it's on that four pack with the, the, the I, yeah the I know I didn't get a chance to very, watch it. Very which, perplexing four pack. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, Jessica's second pick, uh, but I'm a cheerleader. This was the first awesomely campy, I'm definitely in college now movie, uh, followed closely by Teeth. So, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know about Those, But I'm a Cheerleader, but I know about Teeth. I also have not seen a, But I'm a Cheerleader, it's a very fun but movie, I also actually. have seen Teeth. What's I worked that? in a theater that showed But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, it's a very fun movie. It's uh, like Natasha Leone is this very sort of sorority, buffy girl uh, oh, in high yeah. school who was sent to a... To a, a, a gay re-education camp because her parents think she's gay. Uh, initially, she's it's because of comic misunderstanding, but she eventually figures out that she is. Oh wow! There you go. It's got RuPaul in it. It's a very um, good movie with a fun message at a time when those things were a bit rarer than they are now. Um, and then Teeth, of course, which uh, 
is a is a is kind of a crazy movie. Um, it, yeah. it based on a crazy it's... psychological sort of uh, theory that uh, you know. Uh, women women uh, have teeth down below, shall we say. Well, the um, fear of that. Yeah, the psychological the theory is that, that right. men are afraid of vagina dentata, the idea that women could, yeah. women's vaginas could have teeth and swallow your penis. But this I is think a, that's from Freud. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely <laughs> it Freudian. Like Freud. I'm not going to say 100% Freud, but it is it is Freudian for sure. Um, but then there's the, you know this... Uh, you know, they, they made a horror movie where that that's the reality of this girl's situation. It's, and just sort of her... Yeah, you know, her dealing with it. It's a very interesting Coming movie. of age in <laughs> with, uh, you know, with those kinds of problems. It's, it's also a running joke on the uh, the underappreciated, now-canceled TV show Scream Queens. Oh, is it? Where there's this group of sorority sisters, and, like, the top sorority sister always accuses the sort of bottom sorority sister of having teeth in her vagina. Noise. All right, and it, and it kind of starts to hint that maybe she does. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we at now? Top five. Yep. Do we want to each do a run through our top five, or do we still want to alternate? For the uh, sake of time, how about I think we all run through our top five individually, mm-hmm. and then we can comment after. Well, we can do brief comments on each of them yeah. and, yeah. and tell the story. Sure. I just think it might be a little. Yeah. For momentum. Yeah. Do I want to start? You're up. All yep. right. Uh, so, I talked a bit about San Francisco earlier, which was a place that I lived when I was in my, my early 20s for a couple of years, and was very influential on me. And this was before it was all tech road out, and it was still kind of a weird place to live. Yeah. Was, uh, San the San Francisco of City Lights bookstores, not the San Francisco of Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of my favorite movies, uh, a Michael Myers movie that I watched with that girl that I was talking about, uh, was So I Married an Axe Murderer, which is this weird little movie about Mike Myers <laughs> as a poet uh, who meets and marries an odd girl, and they're both kind of, like, eccentric, but not in, like, upsetting ways. They're just both a little off, and Mike Myers is up uh, from a very Scottish family, and he's very Scottish. Uh, and he comes to believe that his girlfriend might actually be a serial killer, but there's a twist to it at the end. Twist. Um... It's a very fun movie. It's very romantic, and it sort of beautiful views of San Francisco and uh, the sense of the life. And it very much, as far as importance to me, represents sort of that time in my life, which was a great formative time. Man, being in your early twenties is fucking great. Being in your forties is kind of shit. <laughs> Hi, well, thanks uh, for that. Um, <laughs> I got time. Woo! I got five years left. Being older is is okay in its own way, but uh, you know, different eras. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I have not seen So I Married an Axe Murderer. Uh, in, its, movie than in its entirety, <laughs> I have seen the ending a couple of times, so oh. I, I guess I did have the twist ending spoiled for me in that way. Yeah. But Boy, it's a better movie that massive yeah. orange crating. That's amazing. Butt neck. He's got to cry himself to sleep after that one. It's a huge pillar. <laughs> it used to play. Like I feel like it Is played it weekly on damn uh, Comedy Central for a while. Yeah, it's definitely a Comedy Central darling. Yeah. If you, and if you haven't seen, it, I recommend watching. It. It's a fun, cute movie. It's not super deep. It's not gonna like change the world, but it's it's a fun flick. It's a yeah. It's a good comedy. Mm-hmm. Back when Mike Myers still did those instead of fucking Love Guru. <laughs> <laughs> and that Cat and Ken the Hat, hat movie Holy where he's shit. in a way that makes you want to kill oh. yourself. 
But hey, we're getting the Cats movie from it. Oh, oh my god. Those Alexa. are definitely the same. I would costume. rather have Horrified Mike cat Myers. Technology. Yeah, Cat than the, <laughs> the Cat technology of 2019. I haven't. I can't watch the trailer for that movie. Like, every time I see a still from it, because when you go to pull up a trailer for it on YouTube, there's always a still, and I'm like, can't. <laughs> you can't. I can't see this. This is this is wrong. It's, it's all right. I've seen the play. Like, this I make, don't know this almost makes was. me believe in a fundamentalist god, because this seems like a punishment <laughs> that would be leveled <laughs> by an evil Old Testament god <laughs> to have to see these fucking things. Yeah. Old Testament God said, "Memory." <laughs> and I, I've never seen the musical, but I like T.S. Eliot, so I'm, I'm not ill disposed towards the idea of the musical. T.S. Eliot right. is one of my favorite poets. I, uh, I, I did see it. Uh, it was the last thing I did with my former ex fiance, or I guess just ex fiance, wouldn't be formed. Yeah, I was like, she's not. Yeah. Is she now? Not oh. here? Did you kill her? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm going to say on the air. <laughs> no, she's fine, I'm sure. Um, but, you feel real bad if that turns out to be on Yeah, floor, no, I, I haven't... I, I, she'll I, be Exhibit A. I haven't heard anything to or from about her in, like, 15 years, so I don't know. Um, but uh, but uh, that was the last thing we did, and our last fight was, because there's a lot of fake smoke in this particular play, I kept coughing. <laughs> like, like I, it was fake smoke, and yeah, like the people, lungs. the people in the pl- like the pe- the people who put on the play are like, this is water vapor. You should not be coughing. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just can't stop. Like, water vapor can make people cough. So yeah, it turns turns out. I mean, this was well before vaping was a thing. So um, yeah, you can which, cough from vaping. I mean, is 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 vaping the same thing as fake smoke? I wonder if it is. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's water vapor. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, vap- it's vaporizing water, which is you superheat it to. The I know, as a vape enthusiast, vapor. as a vape enthusiast, I know because vape I, enthusiast by proxy. I know because I wrote stupid uh, yeah. copy for an online <laughs> vape phone well, <laughs> when I was doing online content. Yeah, no, it's um. Well, anyway, uh, Cats was no good as a play. The end. Yep. <laughs> a lot to do with so I married an axe murderer. Yep. So night of the <laughs> So uh, next that, that was the inception of uh yeah. Yeah, no, we, yep. look we take walks. This is yep. what we do on <laughs> if, if you don't like if, it then probably you should Yeah, if you're, you're gonna pull up that I definitely have not made it two hours and twenty minutes in or whatever uh, yeah. without like walking along with us on the journey. Yeah? Yep. Yep. Next would be Night of the Living Dead. Um it's not even my favorite Romero film, because that would be the craziest, but it was very influential. It's one of the first ones that I saw, and as far as influencing horror that is a form, That is a movie that was not what I thought it was going to be. It's a very odd film, because it looks... It's very transitional. I've talked about this before. Yeah. It looks a lot like the 50s horror, but it, it kind of introduces this element of uncertainty and, and more working class thing that became sort of the major theme in 70s horror as it emerged and became... Very important. And I love 70s horror, so I like Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> it's a super creepy movie. It's uh, it's gorier than you think. Like, it's a movie that's gory in an interesting way, because it's not gory in ways that seem surfactile, but when you pay more attention, it's gorier. Mm-hmm. You know? Which I think is very interesting. Like, the more you look at it, the harder you look at it, the more it's unsettling. Uh, and it has some really interesting and bleak things to say about humans cooperating and, and how societies break down because the the main character's spoiler it ends poorly for them. Uh, 
and it, it, it's an archetype of the zombie film, but it ends poorly for them because they aren't able to find agreement. Mm. Because they're in a, a bad situation, and several people think they know what is the best thing. Uh, and, and that results in them running all the fuck over the place and, and screwing everything up. Yeah, uh, we watched it uh, for the pod in conjunction with uh, some zombie comic books um, that also were based in the Night of the Living Dead universe and had a lot of the same sort of theme to them with, you know, weirder results, I'll say. I think you watched it for that so that you would know because they were... Oh. I think the movie was Fido. Oh, you're right, you're right. Oh, that movie rocks. Fido was one of my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. Plug for Fido as well. I, what I love about that movie is how... It's so cheery on the surface and so nihilistic underneath. Mm-hmm. It's God, a movie yeah, full a of broken movie. people. Um, Eat that, Wes Anderson. <laughs> it it so is in that way. Like it's all these people that seem like they're trying to live this fifties life, but underneath it, they're just shells of humans. Mm-hmm. Dylan Baker's performance in that movie is a thing of beauty. Uh, Night of the Living Dead, though, um, it's great. It created modern horror, in my opinion. I don't know what else you can say about it. <laughs> One of the most important films ever made. Uh, next would be Stranger Than Paradise. It's a film by Jim Jarmusch. It's an art house film. I wondered if a Jarmusch uh, film would make your list. Of course it will. <laughs> these these next three are very important in sort of how they move through a thing. Sure. Um, it's an art house film about these... Uh, this brother and his friend in New York who are visited by one of the guys... This guy and his friend, and they're visited by his sister of one of them. Uh, and then they hang out for a while, and then she leaves, and then uh, they all go to Florida at the end. And not a whole lot happens in the movie. I think there's some kind of small heist that happens, but it's really fucking irrelevant to the film. What What's interesting about it in terms of film history is that it had just like a few dozen camera setups. It's almost all in static shots. Uh, it's beautifully photographed in black and white. Uh, the woman in it, Esther Ballant, is really fucking talented. Uh, but in a larger influential uh, sense, one of the important things about it is that it influenced the next movie on my list, <laughs> which will in turn influence the next movie on my list. <laughs> huh. It's kind of staged that way, almost like it was deliberate. Um it was. Well, I wonder, early... you're really pushing for this top five thing, and I'm like, why do you keep pushing for this top five? Who cares? Just <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah. it does actually work out that way. Yeah. Um, it was a real good example of early, the early movement of American indie film before it became indie wood with the emergence of Tarantino and stuff like that. Uh, and if you're looking for a, a weird, kind of funny, kind of sad, kind of odd... A beautifully shot movie that's very minimalist, then it's it's a good one. I highly recommend it. Uh, the next film is a film that uh, I believe was influenced by watching it, which is Slacker by Richard Linklater. Uh, Slacker is a bizarre narrative. It basically is a camera following around groups of people living in Austin. Uh, and it's all performance. It's not natural. It's not just a documentary or anything. But the camera doesn't adhere to characters for longer than a scene. Like, it will adhere to one group of characters, they'll have a scene, and one of the characters will walk off, and it'll follow them interacting with somebody else, or it will leave them at some point and stay, like, at a bookstore or something. And it just sort of walks you through the the day, this day in the life in Austin of all of these odd people. Like, most famously, the Madonna pap smear woman, but, like, conspiracy theory people and 
Just local nuts, like the kinds of people that live in weird college towns. Uh, like, Slacker, uh, yeah, that, that movie's uh, great. Also, a movie that wouldn't be made today. Very much not. It'd be very <laughs> difficult to make it today. I, th- I think <laughs> that that is a movie that existed solely of its era and was definitive of its era in a lot of ways, but could not exist outside of the vacuum of that era. You'd have to do it in a different way. Like you have to do what it was trying to do in a different way. Because what it was kind of trying to do, I think, is there's an early style of film called the like the city poem, like like man like uh, man with a camera, the Russian film, yeah, or mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that, where they would try to give you the sense of life within a, an area through these sort of abstract, almost documentary sometimes movements. And that's very much what I think Linklater is trying to do in Slacker. Is he's it's not about the characters, it's about Austin. Like, none of the things that these people are individually doing matter that much as this sense of a place where, like, sort of college weirdos shoot the shit all day, basically, and go about their bizarre, intense, fanish interests. Hmm, I can see how this and, is going to lead into the next one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was influential on the director of the next one. Ah. All of these, this was a chain of films that were seen by these people that resulted in... Uh, and this was another sort of proto-Indie-American film. Like, this mm-hmm. was Linklater in his earliest days. I think it was his first film. Or at least his first, like, theatrical distributed film. Um, and it was seen by a young guy named Kevin Smith, who used to go into New York to watch movies. And then he also saw Stranger Than Paradise. Uh, he decided, he was a, a dude who lived in New Jersey but went to New York to watch art films and decided one day that he was just going to make a movie. Uh, and begged, borrowed, committed fraud. Uh, he admits to fraud in the in the <laughs> evening with Kevin Smith once. I don't know if you know that. Uh, when people are talking about how you finance films, he's like, well, what you do is you get a job at a convenience store, and then you get your friend, and you write down that you're on the credit card applications that you're a manager who makes like $100,000 a year, and then when they call to verify your income, you have your friend answer and be like, oh yeah, highest paid manager in the company. Just incredible that Kevin Smith... <laughs> And wow. then you get a big credit card, and then you charge it up and make a movie, and hopefully you don't end up in jail. <laughs> uh, he he did what he had to do. He got his movie made, and he made this weird slice of life movie called Clerks. Uh, clerks is about two clerks, one at the gas station and one at the detached video store. That is just a day of them working, like a day of them shooting the shit, a day of them getting mad at customers, a day of them having unfortunate interactions with the local drug dealer. Uh, a day where they de- they decide to fuck off to the roof and play hockey for a little bit. A day where one of them runs off to rent a video, even though he works at a video store. Yeah. <laughs> a day where his, uh, his ex-girlfriend uh, fucks a dead guy in the bathroom. Just the kinds of dumb shit that I guess happen when you're living this boring low working class service job life and it was a weird film because I saw it when it first came out when I was like 16 or 17 Uh, I don't think I saw it in the theaters but I think I got I remember it was tough to track down the video at Blockbuster but I eventually got my turn at it and then I dubbed it because you tape dubbed in those days and I knew that you know it was a rare tape at the time so I needed a fucking dub of it I I remember Um, also like getting that coveted VHS, yeah. you know. <laughs> and did you tape dub it? I did not because yeah. I didn't have the ability to do that. But I what I, I did was I just held VCR. on to it forever and never gave it back. <laughs> there you go. I had to borrow somebody's VCR, I think, to do the dubbing. Because um, I think my family only had the one. 
Uh, this is what we did back in the ancient days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even know why it resonated with me, because it wasn't my life. Like, at the time, I probably would have told people that it was, but I was in high school. I worked a dumb service job, but it didn't matter. Like, I didn't, I wasn't under pressure about college. I didn't have a fucking girlfriend that wanted me to decide what to do with my life. <laughs> like, none of that had any real fucking resonance with how I was living my life, except for the fact where it was just about these people in kind of, I think, growing up, I think what resonated with me more was growing up in Nebraska. Like, in this sure. place where mm-hmm. there's... Like, Omaha's a big enough city that there's, you know, you're not living rural, but there's not much else. Yeah. Like, you can go to the zoo, I guess. <laughs> it's bigger now than it used to be. Like, a lot of my life was, like, go downtown with some friends and sit at a coffee shop and talk shit about fucking Simpsons episodes we watched or what the fuck ever. Like, that's the part I think that that, that resonated with me. Like, my wonder if this is what the world was, this sort of in-between state. I think Clerks is very much about in-between states. It's sure. about characters that can't really move shit, into doing... Shit or get off the pot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are characters that can't move into doing anything else because they don't have the ambition or they don't have the courage or they don't have the opportunity, but for whatever reason, they're just here. They're just occupying space until something interesting happens. You don't see that a lot in movies, which tend to be about... If we want to get into theory, there's the idea of the, the liminal space, right? where movies take place which is where it breaks it's a rupture to the, the regular reality and we enter into something liminal where things can be different but in Clerks it's not really that different in the original ending it was because Dante dies at the end but that was wisely excised at the advice of uh, John Pearson mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it just ends like it ends with him thinking like maybe he'll go to community college but it doesn't feel like a huge change. Yeah. Like, you know he's going to fucking come back the next day and just work another fucking day at this stupid fucking convenience store. And eventually, in the sequel, we find out that he did. Yep. <laughs> I left um, the coffee pot on, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, where Josh said it wasn't his life, for me, it was my life. when I, <laughs> I, I was working at a gas station when I saw this movie. Um, and I remember... I, mean, I had dumb retail jobs. I just sure. I wasn't reliant on them for a living in the way uh, that I was well, in my okay. early 20s. Which is, sort of my point is that it was for people like three or four years older than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, which is not to take away from your experience. No, I, well, I was just going to say, the thing about, and I, and I told Josh that I was going to do this, I'm going to cheat and call the New Jersey Trilogy as a, as a <laughs> single film here. Um, because... So much of the Kevin Smith oeuvre has followed my own life, you know. I feel like he's the guy who, the older brother, who's just a couple years ahead of me and warning me not to do certain things, and then I go do them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, because um, literally, like, with the exception of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which I feel like is an abhorrent movie and, and <laughs> should, you know... Um, it's fine. It's a fine, dumb comedy. It, it's fine, but but the rest of his movies, I feel like, say things or do things the, the way that particular movie doesn't. Um, Arguably, we can we can have this discussion another day. If you <laughs> um, but, Josh is ready to talk about movies, but but Clerks in particular, since that's the one we're talking about, um, was was a was a movie that that definitely like hit me in the right place at the right time and caused me to to also follow Kevin Smith around. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I say I say fairly regularly to Cody while I'm at work at my shitty retail job that uh, I've always wanted to be a Randall, but I know I'm a Dante. <laughs> you know, like, well, 
And the I, other... Well, I was just going to say, Cody has seen some of the yeah. spurts of Randall that, oh, that, yeah. sh- that, that sort of come through the cracks. But they're like, right now, there is somebody who's asking to cover a shift on a, on, on a Facebook <laughs> message. And I know I'm going to just say yes, but like I kind of want to fight it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think a lot of people are Dante and would rather be Randall. Yeah, you're 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 a Dante while the customer is there, and then when they leave, you you get to be the Randall, which is sure. what we all do. <laughs> and I think that's part of what like works in that movie is like the yeah. two of them, like it just plays so perfectly. But that's what's going on Absolutely. inside of every single employee at any establishment along those lines. It's like, I don't want to rent a movie from my store. I want to rent a movie from a good video store. <laughs> I work in a shitty video store. I want to go to a good video store. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. and out your top five. That, that, was, that is my, my top. And the reason why I did it, even though I knew Aura was going to do the Jersey Trilogy stuff as well, we've had discussions about it, and I was like, there's no way I'm not having Clerks as my number one. Because the reason why it's the most influential film for me is that it was the first film that I saw where I really understood that film was a thing that people could see and comment on and make. And before that, I had the understanding that I think a lot of people have a film where it's a thing, it's entertaining, and like, you know, in an objective sense that there are people that make them, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not a thing that you think of as yourself as a person invested in it. It's something remote. Especially growing up, I mean, maybe it's different if you grew up in L.A., but growing up in fucking Nebraska, like... You don't sure. think that people around you are going to make films, right? Like, who fucking does that? Mm-hmm. You're going to work at a fucking dealership or an insurance firm or some shit. That's exactly what, you know. Uh, I mean, how much of me and your lives centered around the fact that we had to get out of Omaha? Because yeah. if we didn't, we were going to be swallowed up by Mutual of Omaha. Yeah, <laughs> or, or you're going to be at the fucking Gallup Bowl for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, uh and Not that there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. If that's there's what you nothing enjoy wrong life. with that choice if you've made it, but <laughs> we, on the other hand, made uh, much more poorer choices and left. Yes, mm-hmm. and as a result, I, I live in a dingy apartment in a college town. How the <laughs> hell did he even know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was it was that sort of knowledge. Like, and there had been things before, like mystery science theater and stuff, that sort of broke down some of the mystique of culture for me and made me understand that culture was a thing that you could think about and comment on. But just seeing Clerks, the idea that it could be made by just a fucking dude. Like, mm-hmm. and that's not to take anything away from Kevin Smith, because I think he's a very talented filmmaker. But he's also the first filmmaker that I saw that didn't seem like some weird fucking alien. Mm-hmm. You well, seemed he, like a fucking dude that you'd meet at the fucking... Well, he sells himself. So like, that's his... At, at he the sells his, 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 <laughs> you know, his image as being a schlubby dude. So, I mean, I don't think yeah. he would be disappointed when you say, that guy's a schlubby dude. Yeah, and you really, like, no one doubts for a second the authenticity of him saying, like, I wrote this movie because I worked in a convenience store for years. Because mm-hmm. you, you get that feeling from just the way he talks about things and the way that... His characters interact. It feels like sort of an idealized version of how yeah. regular people just fucking deal with these things. Mm-hmm. And that was super important for me because it, it gave me confidence in, in my ability to meaningfully contribute to culture in some way. Fair enough. I probably wouldn't be doing a podcast if I, if I didn't do that. <laughs> so, uh, as I... as all I, that podcast money. All that sweet, <laughs> sweet podcast money. Um... As I briefly alluded to, uh, my number five pick on my top five, and I'm not going to call this a top five because because I didn't set up this list thinking about it in terms of this, <laughs> but uh, my my uh, fifth to last pick, I guess, would be uh, The Matrix. Um, 
and by this I sort of mean the first one more than the more than the trilogy. I, I mm-hmm. cheated on some other ones, but but I didn't love the later movies as much as the first one sort of hit me in the right place at the right time. Again, mentioning that my undergrad is in philosophy. This <laughs> this like sitting through the Matrix was like sitting through one of my seminars. Mm-hmm. Like I really felt it was an intro to philosophy that that was a fascinating sort of thing and like the the idea of like human battery like humans used as batteries and things like that mm-hmm. like that sci-fi element struck me at the right place at the right time yeah um i don't think he has anything to say about the matrix it's positive so we can just move on <laughs> uh who framed roger rabbit is my number four pick hell yeah i love seeing a cartoon on the list yeah uh who framed roger rabbit like also sort of was in the right was in the right vein at the right thing because uh, I was I I had grown up watching Bugs Bunny cartoons and things like that and having like you know this this live action element to it like when I was I don't know 8 or 9 years old when this thing came out um my dad again having no idea what this movie was like took me to this like overly violent like where they're melting cartoons and things like that. Like, um, these kids' movies were like that back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like Dark Crystal and Willy Wonka. Like you could oh, oh, disturbing fucking. I mean, kid Gremlins. Gremlins, which uh, was originally written as just a horror movie. Which I should. Which with I should, severed heads and shit. Which I forgot to write down on the list. But Gremlins Two, I mentioned to Josh the other day, one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time. Yeah, so yep. you might have gotten a, a birthday present with a Gremlins themed sex doll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> My number three uh, movie, uh, I I had uh, I I real quickly had written the wrong title for it. Uh, it's the it's city that never sleeps, not the city that never sleeps. It's just city that never sleeps. It's a it's a 1950s noir flick about Chicago and this guy who is a well the the A story is a police officer who is cheating on his wife with a dancer at a. Uh, at a strip club, but that, you know, it's 1950, so they're not allowed to call it any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and he's, he's about to, he's about to cut and run with this stripper he falls in love with. Um, those of us who are familiar with how this works, it always ends poorly. Well, um, cutting and running with a stripper you fall in love with? Yeah. yeah no, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> and over the course of the, the, this guy's last night in town, he, he does a number of things, and uh, one of the things is investigate a murder outside of the club where his, his girlfriend works, uh, where this man who is a, a robot who, uh, like, he, he, he's, he's in a window, and he plays, a, like, just this robot who, like, you know, uh, changes forms and, uh, or changes poses over the course of the evening, and they keep asking over and over again, is he, is he a real person or is he a robot? And so much so that people don't know. So this this robot guy witnesses this thing, and there's a discussion with the gangsters about whether or not that was a person who saw their crime, or a or a or a robot or an, uh, yeah. I mean the way it's set up, you, you totally get it. Yeah. Um, but it he, he can't say anything because he's stuck in this window. But he witnessed this thing happen. You know. Wow, that's a really good contrivance. Oh God, it's 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 uh it's it's my favorite noir movie. So. Um, I haven't seen that one. As, as Josh knows, I've seen hundreds of these things now, and um, my, my favorite is, is Double Indemnity, of course. Yeah, Double Indemnity is a, a good a good answer too. <laughs> um, Double Indemnity. Have you ever listened to the uh, the uh, uh, commentary on it? I have not. The commentary 
posits that, that there's a homosexual element to it, <laughs> which is just fascinating when you see it like the third or fourth time. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I, might, I might have to watch it with commentary at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, number two movie, uh, Strange Days. Uh, this legitimately is my favorite movie of all time. It's another detective movie, but it's a neo-noir. Um, it takes place on the uh, last day of the century, uh, uh, New Year's Day, 1999, and uh, this guy's, uh, you know, uh, this, you know, kind of sleazy fella who is effectively a stand-in for a drug dealer. Um, ends is, up, is it Stephen Dorff in that? Y- yes. Uh, it's mostly Ray Fiennes, though. Oh, Ray Fiennes. Yes. Um, uh, he, um, Juliette Lewis as well. Um, and uh, Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio, maybe? Um Maybe not. I might somebody else. Anyway, um, this uh, it's a great movie. It's an it's um, like I said, it takes place on the New Year. So you've got this race war kind of building in the background of this like murder that has nothing to do with nothing, and these two threads like sort of interweave and end up combining at the end of the movie, um, which uh, is is great. Also, it's a Schumacher film, wow. which mm. like if you wanna <laughs> like. But that doesn't mean the same thing then that it does now. <laughs> yeah. uh, my my number you one. You still movie... haven't seen Falling Down, right? No. Oh, you got to see Falling Down. Uh, I just got we... Max to watch Falling Down, and he quotes that to me all the time now too. Sure. Um, my final pick, my number one pick, uh, Tombstone. Nice. I'll, Ooh. I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's. It's I got two guns, one for each of you. <laughs> yeah. You're so drunk, you're seeing double. God, I love it. Paul Cummings' um, performance in that movie is a fucking genius thing. Oh, jeez. A lot of times he overdoes it, but Christ, it works in that movie. It really does. Uh, I mean, if you've ever seen any other, like, because this is the story of Wyatt Earp and the shootout at the OK Corral, effectively. Yeah. But uh, it's... It, it does a lot of stuff with like sort of the background of it and how he meets these yeah. unlikable characters. Uh, <laughs> uh, the reason why this is my number one pick, this is the first movie I wrote an academic paper on in any substantial way. Nice. I it was a, it was for my senior seminar. Uh, it was supposed to be a twenty page paper. I wrote it to forty five pages and still wasn't done talking. My professor literally had to sort of just pry it out of my hands. Um, because I couldn't stop talking about it. And then she, as a result of this particular, I know this was the impressive moment where she's like, you need to go to graduate school. <laughs> like, so that was, that was the moment that, that sort of, uh, because of damn tombstone of all things, which is not a movie I would typically be interested in, but it was something that my dad had suggested to me. So that was a good movie. Yeah, it's no, it turned it turned it was it, what I mean is it's not my typical fare. Yeah, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no cat. But, but because uh, because Tombstone is what it was, there was an opportunity to write about the film itself. There was an opportunity to write about the event itself, and then there was an opportunity to write about the town itself. Yeah. Which is how I ended up going forty-five pages and not being able to stop talking. Oh, <laughs> well, there you right? go. <laughs> so, because there's this whole mythic behind, you know, yeah, behind Wyatt Earp that uh, Tombstone almost one hundred percent fictionalized. Like, oh, yes. Once you once you sort of do the research, like he knew Doc Holliday for years. Like uh, all of these yeah. things that happen in this movie are just untrue. The actual um, shootout at the OK Corral took like thirty seconds. Yeah. 
there's there's a special edition DVD that had a bunch of features about how like no no this was true this, this is all kind of bullshit yeah <laughs> and and Wyatt Earp wasn't really that great a guy like probably he was kind of running his own criminal syndicate maybe. yeah yeah isn't that funny <laughs> yeah and there was um, just competing criminal syndicates between him and the whatever gang <laughs> yeah um and. Uh, if you've ever seen Young Guns, Young Guns has a little bit of that under the under the surface too with Billy the Kid. Yeah. But those are my five. Cody, what you got, buddy? All right. Well, I'm going to round out our right now almost running at three hour show. Uh, <laughs> going to do some. So I organized my top five to be top five like influential ones, not necessarily like top five favorites. My number one is my number one favorite movie like of all time, but. My quick uh, honorable mentions to uh, Seventh Seal, Doctor Strangelove, Rubber, Scott Pilgrim, uh, and Real Genius. Like, all of these movies we could talk ad nauseum about for for any single one of these, but uh, they're all fantastic for different reasons. Check them out. Josh made me watch Rubber. Rubbers, yeah, probably. Rubbers fucking, fucking amazing. Movie. I love that movie. And that was one of the first movies that, I know we just said I wouldn't talk about this, but that was one of the first movies that, like, the people that I watched it with, like, by the end of it, they were like, I don't think I really cared for it. And I was like, you people are insane. That movie was amazing, and you're wrong if you don't think that that was amazing. A, always a formative moment. No, yeah, no, it's like, uh, other people are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, the, my, the traditional one, if you go to, if you do the majoring in film classes, Metropolis, like yeah, yeah. you can tell who the film majors are in the intro class because like a lot of people will be like, oh, it's three hours, it's so boring. But like a few will be like, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> yeah. life. And you're like, you need to major in film. I think I'm pretty <laughs> sure Haley has a movie that's like about the making of Metropolis or something along those lines. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's kind of a fascist movie. <laughs> so. Uh, Kind of. S- starting off my bottom of my list, uh, Brave Little Toaster. Uh, I this is another one that I myself have written several papers on. Not not of the caliber that or in Josh write papers, but just like for oh, random school yeah. assignments. You haven't read Ora's papers, they're not. Yeah. They're not <laughs> I, I usually have to have somebody else clean them up. Uh, I have I'm the sure. I, I'm the Make idea. A joke. Um, don't don't talk yourself down. Whatever. Uh, Bra- when <laughs> Either I, of you. <laughs> let me let me real quickly say to Cody uh, when I told him that we were doing this list, the first words that came out of his mouth without hesitation were like, "I want to talk about the brave little toaster." And I was like, "Cody, I don't think you get the point of this." <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, that it's it's fast. That one is super fascinating to me for a lot of different reasons, like. Again, because I've just, like, done so much history, Brave Little Toaster was supposed to be the first full CG movie, not Toy Story, because John Lasseter was trying to pitch it as um, as the first, like, CG movie, and the person who famously, like, bled uh, Disney dry with all of the theme park stuff, I'm just blanking on his name, uh, Eisner. Eisner had just stepped in and didn't like... Uh, uh, Lassiter and w- was like listening to him pitch this movie and he cut him off in the middle of it and he was like is this going to be cheaper or more expensive to make a movie like differently like this the way that he was talking about and he was like oh it, it should cost you know the same amount of money because he was trying to sell it really hard and he was like if it doesn't cost the same amount of money then or if it costs the same amount then why would we take this risk and before John Lassiter even got back to his office they stopped him and told him that he was fired and he got that job because of his direction for 
some other, it was like where the wild things are and the way that he did a different computer animated scene in that. So Brave Little Toaster was his like baby that he was scared about. And when his other friend that started the studio that kind of made the movie called him up, he didn't answer the phone because he was so depressed because he lost his job at Disney, which was his first like career job that he'd ever had. But uh, they, they ended up getting to make the movie, and it's very dark, and you can tell it's somebody who just went through like a terrible like situation. And, uh, and then what made it even worse was Disney still technically owned the rights to it, so they didn't give them a theatrical release for it, and they released it like in an uh, edited cut on TV. I remember that, that it was a TV movie initially. Yeah. It was a very good kids movie. Yeah. I don't know why Earl was so surprised. I remember... Uh, no, I... No. Very good, oddly I, depressing. I was, just, uh, I was just surprised that that was the first thing that came out of Cody's yeah. mouth for more in, most influential movies. There's a, a very literal song about suicide sung in a junkyard. It's all about their... The scary-ass vacuum cleaner. Yeah, uh, there's... <laughs> you mentioned this movie briefly yesterday, separate of our conversation with Cody, didn't you? Really? Didn't I? I think someone did. I don't know if I was. Huh? But uh, but yeah, I love it. I also unironically love the sequels, even though they're terrible. But uh, I don't think I've seen the sequels. <laughs> I've seen both I've seen of them. Glancingly and just not cared. <laughs> they're they're not great, but uh, they hold a special place in my heart. Uh, next is like, the Brave Little Toaster is very much what I wanted Toy Story to be. Like this, sense yeah. Of, like, these well, you get that when things you in see a larger it. world. Yeah, and that was definitely like the darker tone that Toy Story was supposed to have initially. That's got. The, the hilarious thing about that is Toy Story's original idea got scrapped halfway into production because Woody was such an unlikable asshole. Like, the t- there's literally uh, stills that they had thumbnailed of the toys, like, throwing Woody out of the window on purpose, like, wow. as a mutiny, like, act because he's so mean. <laughs> uh, so... So then I'm, I'm going to kind of cheat and use Army of Darkness, but also just the uh, Evil Dead trilogy. Um, yep. Definitely in the era where I was... Yeah, if you're doing all the Evil Deads, that's, you have three movies on there that I have on Steelbook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Multiple various releases. Which uh, Necronomicon or Book of the Dead variants are they? <laughs> uh, I just have a regular of the first one, although that's... I think it's the one that has the best aspect ratio of because there's a lot mm. of problems with aspect oh, ratio for one or two. I'm not gonna get into <laughs> right, right, right. Blah blah, blah. <laughs> they're all great. Evil Dead Two is the best. Evil Dead Two we, is the best. We and can... I have the steelbook of it. And I have the steelbook that Shout put out of uh, Army. Oh God, yeah. Um, Although but, it's uh, of them, it's the one I'm the sickest of. <laughs> I think, yeah, it was a good movie. Exactly. I think the order that I watched them in was Army of Darkness, Evil Dead One, Evil Dead Two, and it was one of those things where I, my parents were on a kick at this point in time where we could only watch G and PG movies, and if it was PG thirteen, they had to go through like the online like rating for it and figure out if it was appropriate or not. So it was it was at this era where I was in high school and I was having friends sneak me DVDs <laughs> so that way I could take them home and watch movies so we could talk about it. But uh, Army like Army of Darkness, the Evil Dead movies, easily like one of my favorite horror trilogies of all time. Perfect Camp, the TV show was really great too, and uh, like diehard Bruce Campbell fan. I definitely remember bringing Evil Dead to like a party with some friends to be like, let's watch this goofy horror movie. And then partway through, I was like, is that tree raping that girl? Yeah, and I was like, yeah. yeah. That's the that's the thing I always like. Anytime you show somebody it and they've never seen it before, you're like, okay, 
This one is a little different. Do you want to start with two? You don't need one. Like we, we'll we'll come back and we'll watch one a different time. Yeah. Don't want to like sour we'll, somebody. We'll on circle it. back. One isn't a bad movie. It's, no. Yeah. It's just it's it's the most horror of them. Yeah, because they were still they were really trying to do it seriously, and then the cult success of it was kind of what inspired them to do two and yeah, they like more of the Three Stooges influences. Yeah, two is like the perfect balance of horror. Exactly, and it's it's the it's the powerhouse for Bruce Campbell, like doing like carrying so much of that movie in his own performance. Just that opening where it's just him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So then the next. Princess Bride, probably not a surprise. I just, I'm one of those people. I love that movie. Yeah, you are. I can quote that movie <laughs> beginning to end. I have the book that Carrie Elwes wrote about it. I've seen all of the commentaries that exist for that movie. I watch it each time they re-release it on a new blah 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 whatever anniversary edition yep. that it is. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing that in the theaters when it came out. Timeless classic. Great it was movie. A, it was a great movie. Uh, formidable for me, the very first time that I saw it was a day that I was also staying home sick from school, and we had actually had the VHS up copy for years. I just never watched it. And my dad came home early from work, and I was just like laying on the couch, and he's like, "Hey, let's let's watch this movie." And I still remember like shot for shot, he paused it during the shrieking eel scene, and I was also like. Not saying anything, but gripping a pillow in fear. Yeah. And then you see the point in the movie where Fred Savage does the exact same thing. <laughs> and and just that extra, like, framing construction of the, the story and Fred Savage, like, interrupting, yes, yes, you're very smart, shut up. <laughs> like, was, was very reminiscent for me in, like, my childhood of, like, hitting that point where you finally stop asking questions in the middle of movies because you're like, I'll probably get this answered like in an appropriate amount of time if I just watch it. Yeah. Uh, then, number two, The Thing. Another uh, movie I have on Steelbook. The best, best cover of the shop, Steelbooks. Yeah, that's uh, like all of what I love about horror movies, all of what I love about sci-fi, all of what I love about like movie production and especially special effects definitely comes from the thing uh i was one of those kids that like before i was into horror movies i was still fascinated by them and i would give myself nightmares by just like looking at the horror movie covers in the blockbuster section mm-hmm. and the thing was always fascinating because the the cover is so you it's kind of hard to tell what's going on it's either the the silhouette or it's the like contorted face and both are like fascinating to look at, and then you look at the back, and there's all this other like horrific shit happening. Yeah, and uh, great performances in that. Moment. Yeah, the for me memorably the the scenes that I really love are like the the horror and tension of the scene where he's got the uh, blood vials. Everybody's got the blood vials, and he's like mm-hmm. burning it with the like hot poker of just. Even if it, if it is you, you not knowing that it would be you, and they get to the one, and then you're not expecting the reaction that the blood is going to have, so yeah. that's immediately horrifying. And you're then, expecting something to happen, but yeah. it, it commits so well to it happening. Yeah, it subverts it does, that, like, oh. and then the next thing is, again, it's that build where horror stuff is scarier when you can't see it because your yeah. your own imagination is always worse but the thing does such a good job of melding like you don't know what it is even though you're looking at it and it's like familiar parts but it's also 
dis, like contorted and bent yeah. and obviously alien that it's it's terrifying and they're all like sitting strapped to the chairs while the person on the end is freaking out. Uh, and it's, then Carpenter's best work was definitely about like Halloween, mm-hmm. uh, very much about like you know it's this unknowable thing like why does he kill people because in the first one you don't know like there's yeah. no family connections. Michael Myers is just a killer. Yep, it's just, uh, uh, just that it's, random element. And it's very much about like you don't see him. Where could he be? He could be anywhere. He could be doing it for any reason. You have no fucking idea. Yep. And it's definitely the same. Those Carpenter's best work was often taking horror and stripping it down to that very elemental it's like the thing is also like i would argue cosmic horror in that same sort of uh event horizon way of like no explanation no explanation there's no justification it's just like awful shit is going to happen to you and you were fucked from the beginning yeah you just have to deal within the constraints of the situation and you have no good information great uh I just kind of like the theme of Clerks too. Yeah, yeah, yeah very similar. Clerks, and the, yeah, Clerks and the Thing have a lot in common. Um, I have read that he was a huge asshole in his early career. John Carpenter. Carpenter. Oh, I can see that. <laughs> Specifically, according to uh, Dave, was Dave O'Brien, the the Aliens guy. Uh oh, the Something director O'Brien. of Aliens? Or? No, the writer. Oh, and then oh. he did. Uh, he also did uh, Return of the Living Dead. Hmm. But he was he was the guy who first created the script for Aliens and had the ideas for it. Gotcha. And he was, yeah, he he, he worked with uh, John Carpenter on uh, Dark Dark. What was it? What was it called? It was his first movie, Dark Something. John Carpenter's first movie. Yeah, the, the spaceship one. Oh, Dark Star. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing they made together when they were at USC and. Uh, Apparently, John Carpenter was this popular guy, and I think it was Daniel O'Brien was kind of this uh, bit of a schmo, and <laughs> Carpenter treated him like shit. Say all of you, I guess. <laughs> uh, and so then that brings my uh, number one all-time and most uh, influential, uh, The Iron Giant. Uh, easy for me, easy to bring up all the time. Another movie that I've done so much... Uh, behind the scenes research on the the like them making the movie, the fact that it wasn't a commercial success in any sense, but has endured as one of the most like positive and endearing like interpretations of Americana, and like also just the career that Brad Bird has, the way that he does cinematography in his animated and like live action movies is something that I love. It is like very very impressive to me personally. But uh, character performances, uh, animation techniques, the fact that uh, the Iron Giant is actually 3D, like uh, it's some early CG stuff, but the way they like matte color it, it looks like something from out of the world while also believable in the context of the movie. And it works very smoothly for early CG. Yeah. Uh, Like you can't see the seams at all. It's not like another movie that I love that is uh, criminally underappreciated but also like kind of bankrupted studio was Treasure Planet but you can see the seams on that one with the the like 3D animation like blended in and how it kind of like stands out but for Iron Giant it's like all seamless cool but uh, yeah that movie rocks if you haven't seen it go see it it'll it'll either always make you cry or always make you laugh (laughs) most of the time both well, thank you guys, and thank the guest hosts for uh, for an awesome birthday party that uh, 
per usual with my birthday parties, ran way over time that we expected it was going to run. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. or it, or it takes his birthday over three days, and we recorded this podcast over three hours. <laughs> yep. So it works out real well. <laughs> with that, Josh, where are the socials at? What's going on? What's happening? You're the one who does the catch. I don't know these things. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, you nah, can, I can make it go. No, no, no. I, I got it. It's so. Uh, if you if you want to find uh, any of our previous pods, they are at uh, thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm. I'm sure we're working on a URL shortener any day now. Um, I think it's fine as is. Or Josh <laughs> thinks it's fine as is. Thatpodcastproductions, all one word, .fireside.fm. Yeah. Um, there, the email address, uh, I believe also, thatpodcast.productions at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finally, uh, nope, that's it. That's all we got right now, right? Uh, throw, oh, throw, the Facebook. The Facebook. Yeah. There's a Facebook that that podcast stays up all night. Uh, sleepover party? Slumber party. Slumber party. Uh, go ahead and join that, and we, we'll talk to you there about what we're doing. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on, let's see. Uh, Stitcher. Stitcher. Stitcher, Stitcher the has Apple us. podcast thing. Pretty sure uh, Google, Spotify. Google podcast, Spotify. Uh, something else. <laughs> yeah, we're all over the place now. Yeah, I, I put us in for several things. We're infecting the web. So we're going viral, kids. So you okay, can catch like, us on Podcatcher like or virus. Or at our website you can add our RSS feed to your podcatcher, which is how I like to do pod. Because fuck fuck uh, fuck tech people and their intermediates. <laughs> Agree. Just get a podcatcher and RSS feed. That's all you need. I don't love listening to podcasts on apps. I like to just sort of you know, p- plug in my uh, plug in my thumb drive directly I mean, into the car. Yeah, like my podcast app, but it's a generic app that just pulls RSS feeds. Yeah, you know what I mean, though. Like, yeah, no, like I know something, what you mean. something like Google Play, <laughs> like or, Stitcher, and Google. No, it's, yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't love those things, but but yeah. other people do. So that, there. that'll this will help us get ranked on. Uh, yeah, right. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> shit. All right, with that. So tune in next week. We'll have our next. Can uh, with that podcast we'll never do. We'll be talking about some Shazam comics. Uh, a couple of weeks from that, we'll have a further ado talking about Shazam, other medias, <laughs> properties, <laughs> uh, and then we'll also have on the second and fourth Mondays of those months, we will have that podcast stays up all night. We'll be talking about fast food and then Angel. And if you if super you, sleazy flicks, if you need to listen to this schedule, that'll be on the blog on the on the Fireside site too. So yep, I'll put that up sometime. <laughs> <laughs> all right, anything else to say? Not for me, man. Thanks for a wonderful birthday.